Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Curious Cats podcast with me, Ricky Spears and Chris Wharton. Today's guest is David Harkin. David is a good friend of Christopher's. He started his own business, 7 Billion Ideas. Um, They're all about connecting billions of people over the planet with their own ideas. They do this via their social media app, their corporate business and their education business. He's also done his own TED Talk uh, all about the idea behind his company really so check that out very much about business in today's podcast so thanks again to david for spending some time with us we really enjoyed it got a lot from it hope you guys do too um right you start us off on this one then christopher okay good afternoon all one and all um we're here today with um, so formal please mate (laughs) (laughs) all right chaps we're here today with um, a good friend of mine, a long-time friend of mine, David Harkin, CEO of Seven Billion Ideas, who has joined us um, prior to playing a cricket match. Yeah, right. I have. Yeah. Where have you come from today? I've come from Surbiton. Quick nip Posh. into town. Posh. <laughs> nice part. The, the, the Seven Oaks of Surrey, Surbiton is. Yeah, I yeah. think it's 20 minutes out the other side and 20 minutes out from Waterloo out here. So, yeah, that's where I've popped across from today nearly as nice as <laughs> seven oaks so um we're gonna talk to david today about his um wonderful business very inspiring um i said in fact i'll let you explain what it is thanks david man. so seven billion ideas talk to me right well it was about se- well, it was seven years ago now we were just chatting away in a in a pub in wandsworth Bank holiday weekend, nice sunny day. Oh, we weren't there. You guys weren't there. You guys weren't there. We've taken no credit. It was that weekend. Um, oh, do you remember when Man United they got beat by Barcelona, uh, Wembley in the Champions League final? Yep. Back in 2011 now, so eight years ago, and we're talking a group a group of friends coming up with fun, thoughtful, creative ideas. We didn't start the day just thinking, let's come up with ideas. It was just happening a natural conversation, and um, I said to. To one of my uh, one of my friends at the time, isn't it crazy? All these people in this pub are probably chatting about lots of things, but ideas are being generated today, and the vast majority of the ideas talked about today won't be acted on. Yeah. And the planet's population. Still sober at this point. Yeah, uh, right? yeah, about three, of, <laughs> a couple of drinks in, not yeah. too far, uh, sober enough to remember it and yeah, yeah. and then act on and it. Have <laughs> and have good ideas. That's why I haven't got any good ideas. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was it was literally. I turned and said, uh, "The planet's population is about to pass seven billion people, and not only these people in this pub, but schools, offices around the world, all coming up with ideas all the time." I said, "Why don't we build a business? We build a platform." So the initial idea and the initial concept was we build this platform and we'll call it Seven Billion Ideas, where it'd be about where people could come together, share the everyday, fun, thoughtful, and creative idea, then hopefully get the courage to, to actually act on one of their more sensible ideas whether it's an enterprise social enterprise helping out the community whatever it might be uh, but hopefully give people confidence over time so we we quickly bought the domain seven billion ideas.com we did it in the pub there and then spent 20 pounds on it and it was the best best 20 pounds ever spent <laughs> so then it was just a case of beginning to to formalize that business plan and, and that's what we did in the next year spent loads of time talking about it it was in the gym previous life used to work for for ibm out and walking the dog wherever it might be literally i was just relentless when you was having this chat in the pub did you still work for ibm then still work for ibm so full-time uh i was effectively a professional seller uh i was on the director's path at the time loved it uh loved that jump from from university into the big corporate world but there came a point where 
I was just getting a little bit claustrophobic. Uh, I was coming up with these ideas and this idea I just could not drop. And I felt like I I owed it to myself to just go and explore it as much as I possibly could. Otherwise I would have turned like 30, 40, 50, 60 and just Mm. literally be talking about this great idea I had, like most of the people probably in the pub that day. So I was like, I'm literally gonna be the most annoying person on the planet unless I do something about this. But we, we managed it quite well. We decided not to, and what a lot of entrepreneurs do is they they take too much risk too early they don't explore it and they just (laughs) they just jump and go let's start a business let's remortgage our house let's chuck everything in and we spent we 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 launched a crowdfunding campaign which we can talk about and we were successful on that but even around that and post that we spent the next two years kind of using all of our holidays weekends any spare moment second that we had like trying to work out what this business would be and so we managed the risk so we went from that corporate world that that nice salary to earning nothing because you're growing your business but going from five to four to three days and eventually making the jump out of out of that world so ibm like you obviously told them about this and like approached them and said like yeah it's sort of like taper down with your work i I couldn't help it really i just was talking about it too much you've got well annoying though like (laughs) you should probably take one more day off a week who's that david arkin guy (laughs) and he just (laughs) just keeps talking about something to do with seven billion but no you know i was i had a very supportive uh management line at the time and it was very different. Look, it wasn't anything that IBM anything IBM did. If you're coming up with a competing bit of technology, then obviously you've got IP um, yeah, yeah. Uh, issues to face. But you know, I, I I positioned it, and it was quite right. I always had a passion. Big part of our business is education. We do work in the corporate space now, uh, but I had a big passion for education. I felt like I needed to explore it. So it was either. You know, it wasn't holding them over a barrel. It was either, look, please let me explore this or I'm going to fight, I'm going to leave. So they said, look, we'll we'll let you go down to four days. We'll give you that bit of breathing space. Um, How long did you work there for? I worked there for seven years by the time that I left. I loved it. I really did love it. It gave us that good grounding. And Mm -hmm. so it gave us that good structure when you became an entrepreneur. Some of those processes and frameworks you liked, a lot of it you didn't like, and you took the best of it when you started your own own business. I think that's probably a pretty decent head start, I'd have thought, for an entrepreneur entrepreneur isn't it is working in a big company and actually getting used to how a big company is structured into what you're kind of eventually aiming for yeah, so I've always thought that when I look at a company and if I wanted to grow a company is like specific roles for specific people and what roles you should have and like organizing that I, I find in my head quite difficult yeah, that experience. Look, you yeah. don't become a hundred billion dollar firm without doing something well, right? Okay, yeah. so yeah, when yeah. you're in that ecosystem, you're in that environment, you see some yeah, exceptional people. We'll give them that one. Yeah. <laughs> They've done something right over the last. They've yeah. been around hundred years, so yeah. you learn. But I tell you, the, the biggest one of the biggest experiences for me was when I went and worked for a small business. So they were very good at their route to market was through business partners, um, was how they would sell um, their, their their products and services. And when you're in like year two, year three, they would make you go work for a small business partner um, or any business partner. And there was business partners which had like a 1, thousand, fifteen hundred employees. But there was one partner I came across which had four people in their firm. And I thought, you know what? I'm working for an organization which has got 350,000 people. I'm going to go to the other spectrum and work with a tiny little business. And the first thing I did, I walked in and the sort of MD said, look, we need 30,000 pounds a month to stay afloat. Mm. You know, we, we know you're young. We know you're, a, um, you're early in your days at IBM, but you need to contribute. And I loved that kind of, um, that relentless every day. I need to be adding value yeah, that in small line. business environment. So I had, yeah. you know, if I didn't go to IBM, we had that big business, small business, and that understanding about profitability yeah. pretty quickly, which is pretty key when you're, when you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. yeah. Sound about it. <laughs> 
<laughs> as you know. Yeah. Interesting you saying, like, um, just to take you back to that time in the pub. All right, I can, I can literally think of more than a dozen times that I've done exactly the same. I, I still do it now. I mean, like, part of just my personality in general, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs in general, is, like, that creativeness and, like, mm. always thinking about how to like revenue streams essentially yeah, and like definitely. what different things am I passionate about that I think I can make money um as a result of and I I, I mean I, Rick is really my sounding board for a lot of it I've, I mean I've told him about probably four ideas this week <laughs> um and I think I was fortunate enough to like start and run a business um that has done well and is profitable that I love mm. um and it, Touchwood is still doing well but on my first go all right but i'm very mindful that that could there's so many hurdles Definitely. that we've jumped over that we could have ran straight into and and we might not be here today and i guess what, what the question I'm, i want to ask is um for people out there who are in the pub who have got that idea is at, at what point and I, don't, I know there's no real easy answer to this but at what point should people be thinking you know this is the one this is the one i should go for talk us through like what you would suggest to people who go from that early stage concept to making a living from something because as glamorous as it seems to be running a business that you love that makes money as an entrepreneur yeah it can go quite badly wrong it can go the other way so yeah. look i guess what seven uh, seven billion ideas has become now is an ideas company which is about connecting people with their own ideas so i have the the privilege of working in the education space in the corporate space but also i get countless entrepreneurs i speak to on a week-to-week -week basis so i've got the perspective from my story and seeing other entrepreneurs and how they function and how they work and i think one of the things is one of the biggest misconceptions is is the gap between having that idea and, and, and getting started. A lot of people think it's incredibly difficult yeah. um, and that it's incredibly complicated building a business. There are of, of course things which are complicated about building a business, but one of the biggest things, uh, um, the skill that every entrepreneur has is resourcefulness, right? Pulling great skill in, asking for favors, you know, learning stuff very quickly you don't understand or, or, or kind of outsourcing it, even if it's to a company or to a friend. So I think one of the first things that people need to do, and they owe it to themselves, is start exploring that idea. That mm. costs no money, right? Yeah. People, I mean, countless people with hundreds, if not thousands of ideas, and they sort of self-proclaimed ideas people, yeah. And but they never explore it. <laughs> you know, so you've got to do a bit of investigation. You've got to do a bit of research. You've got to get Google and go, you know, how unique could this be? And what, what could be the model? To, to get going but then you've got to manage that risk like you know if you've got something which you're incredibly passionate about you know simon sinek's uh, ted talk start with why if particularly that idea is linked to your why um that's the one which you're not going to let go right so if you know why you get out of bed every single day what really makes you tick um and it's that idea okay rather than just a problem that you see which is going to get solved you, you you think could be solved you're never really going to get passionate about that and mm. the most successful entrepreneurs i see are working on ideas which links strongly to their why um so if it links, it links strongly to your why um then explore it you know you've got enough you've got one shot you've got one life go and explore it and if you think there's a business model then take small steps you don't have to go i'm gonna give up my job i'm gonna you know, remortgage my house from day one, I'm going to make so many sacrifices because then what you've got to do is you've got to have that, that, that window of time, like your survival cash. I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs about how much time have you got to survive yeah. where you can think freely, right? Mm -hmm. 
And a lot of people put themselves under cash pressure immediately rather than going, I'm going to use a bit of my savings. I'm going to give myself 12 or 18 months because you need that time to, for the idea to develop. Yeah. And what unsuccessful entrepreneurs do in my eyes are two things. They don't have a strong enough idea linked to their own personal why and they put themselves under cash pressure too quickly and then it becomes a failure, yeah. right? That, that's all it is. Yeah. Which is a great point, which is exactly what happened. Um, I've started a business and had to close it before because it didn't work out at all. And I remember at the time trying to make a decision whether to try and turn it around and make a go of it or just to knock it on the head. And I just felt so stressed out at the time, almost like I couldn't think clearly. And yeah. what you just said about giving, your, giving yourself a space to actually think freely. But so most of those pressures, point. I imagine, were down to you about cash, right? Absolutely. All, it was all, all down money, to cash. Money, and yeah. cash mm. is king queen. But you know you've got to you've got to give yourself that breathing space. And to be honest, when we were using you know if you take a day a week, if well if you just use your holiday, right? Um, if you're in the corporate world or whatever world, most people might have 20, 25 days holiday. You got 52 weekends. That's another 104 days. You add your 25 on top of that. You know if you take um, if you, in my situation, I managed to find another 52 days worth of time by going down to four weeks, uh, four days a week. Yeah. So I had enough time to develop yeah. the concept without having to take any kind of risk early days yeah. um yeah that's it that, that's why it's so important to find your why isn't it because when you're talking about time off and leisure time that you're not being paid for that you're sacrificing to explore which i yeah. really like that term by the way um if if you're not like super passionate about it you're not going to work it's, it's easy like if anyone hasn't watched that simon uh, simon senek talk it was to me a life-changing talk okay yeah. just any successful business any successful leader they know their why and and that helped us redefine our business so our why is about connecting people with their own ideas our how is by creating memorable moments in and outside of schools and businesses and the what's are different. So we deliver business courses and competitions in schools. We have an innovation arm which works with businesses um, around how they become relentless when it comes to innovation. The what's, you know, the what's are, are out there. There are other companies which do it, but people buy from us because of the why. Okay, and for me, that was my why. I wanted mm. to go out there and help people, whether or not they worked in schools and businesses and entrepreneurs, actually act on their ideas. So coming back and seeing like. You know, people have taken an idea from scratch to, to what you guys have made it today. It's just, it's, it's, it's fantastic. And you've got to give yourself a massive, massive pat on the back. Oh, I do. <laughs> every, every day. Most, most mornings. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Man, you should be proud. It's incredible. Back, you know, people belittle, you know, people kind of don't realize. They take it for granted. They walk in, they see the logo, they see the doors, you know, they see, you know, they walk in and, you know, it's behind, you know, everything, every, you know, within this organization within your organization mine and every business out there is a crazy amount of hard work yeah, yeah. you know crazy amount of yeah, hard behind work behind every overnight success there's <laughs> years of hard work yeah it's a decade you know, yeah. i don't believe in it i think it's a decade yeah. to build a solid business right yeah. yeah and and keeping your ears open and listening and pivoting and changing when you need to that's how businesses get built um no i couldn't agree more i mean, one one thing I always try and stay mindful of with these ideas that I've come up with in the past. And I think that probably so many people um, sitting in their pub scenario would have done so as well is that it's quite difficult taking an idea that you think is amazing. And then quite often, I think people are reluctant to act on it because they think there's so much competition or they think it's been done. Yeah. Um, and quite often when I'm talking to, to people who have come up with ideas, that would be the reason I would 
think about doing something. Mm. I think it shows it's good proof of concepts, proof that there's a market there for it. Um, but on the flip side, coming up with something that no one's, sorry, someone's going mental outside. <laughs> um, on the flip, on <laughs> the flip side, um, you know, there are, there are undoubtedly businesses that haven't been done. Yeah, of course there is. So where do you distinguish between something that's just a batshit crazy idea yeah. that there's a reason that people haven't done it and an idea that has been done to death? Well, it's reinvention, right? Okay, so, the, the, so it's really difficult. A lot of people will Google and say, oh, that's been done. Or it's been done in a very small form in a random country around the world, okay? But it can be done better. Yeah. Quite frankly, I don't really care about the competition, okay? I just felt, you know, about building a brand and a business. And um, so you, when people ask us who are competitors, I've got no idea, to be honest. Yeah. We're just concentrating on uh, building a brand, you know those clients which have which have been early adopters over the last five six years looking after them and providing a world-class service that's mm. what that's what and i believe that the business will follow out of it but you know i think you know everywhere you know society only improves because of reinvention um and i think you can look at something and you can you can get heads up about the competition quite quickly and quite frankly you've got to look at it and can i do it better okay mm. if it's a, an improvement idea there's two types of ideas it's a complete new invention from scratch which is very unique, and you've got that, brilliant, explore it, take it to market as quickly as you can, or quite frankly, it's a reinvention or doing something slightly differently, um, and then you've got to do it well, but you've got to build that brand. There's lots of people with great ideas who start a business, but they forget about the why, and they mm. forget about the brand behind it, um, and I think it's, it's building the brand for the business and you as an entrepreneur, okay? A lot of people will do business with your business because of you, Okay, and I think that's equal. A lot of people forget that you've actually got to work on both. You've got to work on the brand of the entrepreneur and the brand of the business. And then you could, you know, once you become successful, people become interested in the second, third, and fourth entity yeah. that you yeah. start. Yeah. That, um, I think that's answered your question. I don't know. The why, the, <laughs> yeah, it's the good why answer. <laughs> Take that. Prior to having this idea and deciding you were going to go for it, had you done a lot of sort of work on yourself? Because that, I, I found when I watched that TED talk you're talking about, that gets to your why. He's got a book, I think, on it as well, mm. isn't he? Um, a lot of the time, I was like, well, do you know what? I don't know. I've got mm. no idea what my why is. Mm. And a lot of people, I bet, don't because it actually, other than the odd person that just really knows, and we've spoke about this before, what yeah. they're passionate about and what their one thing is that they just, yeah. they're just obsessed with, then perfect, start business doing that. But a lot of people probably don't know what their why is. And actually, it takes, a, takes some work to find out, I think. I think question, a lifetime. Rick. Good question. I think it can be. I think I feel lucky that it was kind of mid twenties that I hit on it. But I knew when I was quite young that I was interested in business education and and, and so on and so on. I just didn't know how it was going to kind of merge, merge together. And some people live their whole life and never really know why they get out of bed yeah. um, and explore it. And I think in sport it's quite easy. Like it, not easy, but you you become very focused and yeah. and that's your job and there's so many people out there well 80 percent of people in the workforce are dissatisfied and disengaged with what they do so that's yeah. 24 million people in the uk so the vast majority of those people um are just don't know what their why is but you know they, you, we live in a brilliantly busy world you know so much is going on our phones are great but on the next hand uh, you know it's a huge distraction you've got to take yourself out of your comfort zone you've got to get out of your normal environment and just think about okay if money was no money was no um object. obstacle object yeah if, if you didn't have a mortgage to pay you didn't have family to support so on and so on what would you do you know what really ticks you Okay, and then it can start. That will start to to help 
answer that particular question. I think deep down, you got to you just got to get yourself out of your normal routine, and yeah. you know what your why is, but you don't really want to admit it to yourself, you know, or you don't want to take the risks because then you're thinking about if I go follow that, it's not going to pay me enough, or if I don't mm. follow that, it's going to have this impact. Yeah. And um, you know, I left a great, you know, a comfortable salary, not a great salary, a comfortable salary, to then go pay myself peanuts for the next considerable amount of years but i loved it you have family at this point uh didn't so was getting married one of my co-founders um jenny is my wife as well so we took we both left ibm at the same time and so we were getting married we wanted to, to have kids we've got two beautiful boys now um both taxing your jobs at the same time well so we managed it jenny went um went just just ahead of me because uh it, it was tactically the right thing for us to do and and then we, we did it the same back in the end of 2014. So it's five years now since we went effectively full time on it. Cool. Uh, but then technically two and a half years before that then was from idea generation to going full time. Yeah. So. So take, take us through typical week for you. Typical I think I think he's made I think he's made a lot of this up. <laughs> <laughs> Typical week. He still hasn't told us what he does yet. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Let me tell you what I do in a, a little bit of the crowdfunding journey, and then he explains kind of. I'll tell you my typical week now. So I'm not I'm not always playing cricket on a on, on a Wednesday night. Um, so <laughs> so he's in a cricket uniform, by the way. I am in a reference. cricket uniform. I thought I'd go casual today. Um, so look, we, we took our idea on a crowdfunding platform um, and we ended up raising £30,000 in two hours. So we're the fastest pitch in the world. And the initial concept was a social media platform. Sorry, say that again. It was the fastest pitch in the world. Fastest crowdfunding pitch in the world. Really? Chris, yeah. It was early no concept in the UK. Which? Um, Crowdcube. 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 Shit the bed. <laughs> Brilliant platform. <laughs> Because we need a 30k to get going, and sorry, was that did you? That was your like target. Was 30K? That was our seed capital. Well, that it was, was done in two hours. Two hours. Between the time that you launched it, yeah. When did you next check it? Well, to be honest, we were well, checking we were every on 15 it every minutes. Yeah. Like, fresh, we were like, fresh, it's fresh. bloody, it bloody hell. This is the tickers going up, and literally, we had a call out of the blue. Um, we were on about seven, so it went nine o'clock on, it was the 4th of April, 2012, okay, sitting in So there. was your wife always in at this point? Uh, always in, yeah, Jen, Jenny was point. in at the, yeah, we were friends at that stage. Right. And, oh, uh, that old chestnut. <laughs> friends started dating and, <laughs> but we- Day one, two was in. Day one, yeah, yeah, Jenny. I just knew I needed um, and wanted Jenny to be, you know, she's one of my, she was my best friend and I, I just knew her energy, outlook, you know, just a wanted good a match as good a match partner, and yeah. great match as a business partner. And it was still the two directors in the business today and, you know, very different personalities we sort of bring to the table. Mm. Um, and it went live. So we, we, we worked on this plan. We had like a really beta, like rubbish website at the time, but it was enough to get the concept across. And crowdfunding was new, right, in the yeah. UK. Um, and most businesses were taking about five months to be to raise their cash. It, America is a bit quicker in the US. We, we decided we didn't want to be greedy. We put a very a small valuation on the idea. We hadn't turned over any money. Very loose ideas about how we were going to make some revenue at the time um, and very different to how, how we've made money. Um, so we put a valuation on. We said, Let, let's see if we can get a story here and uh, get some backers. And we're, we're, for the next couple of months, we're just going to go out there and just you know talk, 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 talk. And the concept of crowd is you've got to turn up with some of the crowd. Some people in your family, friends, extended network kind of get it going a little mm. bit. Right. And then the crowd take over, right? Once you see that this is picking up momentum. But we had like one or two 
um, strangers, literally about five past nine, putting 500, 1,000 quid. And then boom, 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 we got a phone call about 10 o'clock uh, from a particular shareholder just out of the blue. Uh, an angel investor never heard of him before didn't know him and just said look I've got a couple of quick questions about it I've seen it I love the concept and I'm going to buy the rest of the shares we're like that's, that's, thank you that's incredible and um, uh, and then he stuck to his word and it was 10.51 literally 50 minutes later all the shares all, all the he bought 23 out of the 30,000 pounds and we were kind of falling off our chairs like wow. how's that literally just happened and we went and met him and he said he was looking for the three P's right in a business one with plan passion and personality. So I'm not saying I've got a great personality, you gents. One, but you've got one of them. He's got a good plan. <laughs> got a good plan. <laughs> to tick that first box. Luckily, Jenny, my wife, was future wife, was with me at the time. But we had a good little video, and and that got us a lot. You know, that got us along the line. But that story really helped us. And then we went into two places. Right. We focused yeah, very heavily. At this point, before he's met you, can he pull out? Is there like no? It well, it's committed? unless unless you don't meet your crowdfunding target, right? then it's released so now in crowdfunding you can say we want to raise 100k yeah you, if you don't get to the 100k it's all returned yeah, you don't back. get anything do you? don't yeah. get anything or right. when you get to the 100k you can reset and say that we're going to go overfunded and um and, and carry on receiving your your money if you wish and selling more equity uh -huh. in the in, and in it's company. equity that you're exchanging for, equity yeah. so it's different to like kickstart where you're backing a project it was literally equity in the in, in the business right. right so it was crazy 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 experience but it was so pivotal for us at that stage you must have thought hold on we're, we're on to something here because like I'm, i imagine up until then it's all well and good and i know this all too well it's all well and good your friends and family going yeah that's that's the blinding idea yeah, like because it, it like it, they're enablers like they almost feel yeah like and and i think certainly when you're passionate about something you can almost talk your way into people yeah. like believing it's a good idea so when someone who has nothing to do with you, who hasn't really met you, is just reading or watching a short, I assume there's a video on there. Yeah, it? terrible video. A video, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to find that right now. It's awful. <laughs> but it was, it, we were so, di the, in fact, the CEO of um, Crowdcube, a guy called Darren, called me up like the night before and said, we think your video is a bit unprofessional. Do you want to stick with it? Because we literally, <laughs> I, 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 was like, I was like, look, we haven't got time. We've told people it's happening that we're going to go with it because we recorded it on an iPhone because we'd done our business plan, we'd done some financials, that all looked smart and we actually, you know, we didn't have time to do the video properly. But it was the video which hooked him in. Um, but it's a responsibility and this is what really frustrates me a lot about a lot of people when they talk about funding. Um, a, they take it for granted and B, when they get it, they don't appreciate every single penny. Mm. And the responsibility is huge. Whether or not it's your own funding or someone else's funding, it's their money, right? So £30,000 after tax, after you've been taxed, you know, that's a huge amount of cash to put into a venture, which at that stage was a gamble, yeah. right? Yeah. And most people's seed capital is a gamble, okay? You're either going to get it from people with some disposable cash, some of your own savings or you're going to have to get an angel investor in so you just feel like you kind of go right now you know we're up a gear here we've got we want to return it as much as possible and and when i speak to that investor it's, he invested in a couple of businesses at the time of crowdcube and it was just remarkable about how some of those other businesses immediately dealt with him we went and saw him and we're like my god thank you right you've literally changed our lives we're going to do as much for you mm. and two or three of the other businesses didn't didn't even really say thank you very much or never took the effort to see him and what happened we're the only surviving business straight away just saying mm. thank you and turning it around but and and then that let took us into 
to a, so I'll get to your question about what <laughs> what I, I do. I can't even remember what it was. It was now. a typical week, but <laughs> oh, sorry, yeah, no, go on. I'm listening. I finished this I'm too strong, it. and then so then the next thing we were like, right, as soon as we built a social media platform, we realised we didn't actually want to be a social media company. We wanted to be an ideas company with a platform, and we wanted to go into schools. So we knocked down, like knocked on the doors of any school that would take us. Can we come do assembly? Can we? Can we see if we can actually inspire kids to come up with their own ideas which could change the world? And we created what we call the Think Big, Dream Big Assembly. And and and, and we needed to see, look, can we make a connection with children of all ages? Was that idea always in your head when you first started, the, the connection with the kids and getting them? I, I think it, when we started, it was very much this online platform. But myself, Jenny, the team at the time, we had this passion for education. And I, I can't actually remember when it was, let's go do an assembly. Yeah. But I... It, we kind of did it very quickly. Like one of our assemblies were, you know, four, six weeks after our app was launched. Um, and then from then we just grew confidence that actually what we saw in the education space was entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship skill set was a big weakness in most schools. Uh-huh. And that's where we started to, to build a portfolio of offerings in schools, which were entrepreneurship courses, competitions, and like now we're six academic years in and we've worked with 80,000 students, 500 schools here in the UK. We've got clients in, in Europe, Middle East and Asia, which is quite crazy. And that's become a big part of our business. Yeah. And then the second part, just finishing, I promise not to story tell all the time, finishing it off, we realized what a lot of what we were doing in schools was very relevant in, in businesses as mm. well about how do you, not entrepreneurship, intrapreneurship. How do you think like an entrepreneur, but within a business and you act on your ideas? And I came from a big business background and I had this fear in these ideas about how do you actually help a, um, an SME or a large organization become relentless when it comes to innovation and marginal gains? How do you seek marginal gains in everything that you do? And we started exploring, was there something that we could do, something that we could take from our platform that we had built, some of the work we'd done in schools and mash it up and reinvent something new that we could actually take into the corporate space. And that's when we started designing a piece of software which we called Spark, but more importantly, a, a model that we, we work with organizations called the Model of Relentless Innovation, where we work with them over three years to really kind of embed innovation so anybody in an organization can literally share ideas but not just share ideas act on them and make them happen mm. if, if they make sense so that's why now like i'm very lucky my, my typical working week could could be working seeing visiting four and five year olds and seeing what they're doing on one of our courses in the, in the classroom then walking into a boardroom and yeah. that's why i love it absolutely love it the variety of the week yeah. is just it's just brilliant fun yeah that's a good mixture of people as well isn't it it did, and yeah, you, you know, kids. I I do believe have the best ideas, but you live yeah. in the UK. People shoot you down. They tell your ideas are rubbish. Um, by the time that you leave school, you've got this kind of opinion of yourself about your your future. Um, and then a big part of our work is about kind of smashing that down again and reminding people that they are brilliant, right? You're 25, 35, 45, whatever your age group might be. You've got some brilliant stuff up there. Let's unlock it. Let's start thinking like a child again. Let's start thinking fearlessly. You know, don't be afraid of sharing that idea. It might sound a little bit silly, but get it out there because it could be a game changer. Mm. Um, so that's why there's so much crossover between what we do in schools and businesses. Yeah. And why I love it. Here's a question. Talk to me. That you've got, you've got, that's busy. You're a busy guy. Yeah. Yeah. When I get busy, I just keep myself busy by like 
doing lots of work that doesn't really make much progress. So like I'm, I'm a nightmare for having like 30 different jobs in my head, doing 10% of each job throughout the day. And then as soon as something else comes into my head, I'll jump over to yeah, that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm busy being busy rather than busy being productive. Yeah. How do you, having no boss, keep yourself productive? So that busy term is an interesting one. I started saying brilliantly busy because I'm sure you're... Because when you, people say they're busy, you, you don't say it. But most people say it like they're busy, right? They say it quite downbeat, quite negatively. And you're like, you know, I'm brilliantly busy. I'm brilliantly busy doing what I love doing. And I say it in that, but I'd rather be brilliantly busy and, you know, incredibly bored, you know. Mm. So the week, is, the week is, is difficult and then balancing your priorities. And you know what? I think when you're an entrepreneur, you're constantly kind of learning about how do you do that, where you spend your time. But I did have a, a coach outside of it. Like, I was going to ask you that. Really, really important. Outside friends, mm. family, someone who can kind of, has been there and done it. Mm. And one of the biggest things my coach Agnes said to me very early days, look, you've got to get the balance of being in and on your business. And when you're in your business, you know, you can't really make the, the big changing moves um, where you can be when you're on your business. Yeah. The strategic things that you should be doing, the leadership, empowering people, but making the bets for the future. And I mean, that really stuck with me. And then I had um, my operations um, lead uh, called Lola came in um, about 18 months ago. and It's been fantastic for us. She came from the aviation industry and she said at the time to me, um, all decisions in in the airline industry are based around one factor okay and that's fuel and she said operationally we need to work out very quickly what our fuel is of this of, of seven billion ideas and and i said to her at the time i said well quite at the moment a lot of our relationships and partnerships have been built by me so it wasn't being i was saying the fuel at the moment is my time how do we get more time back to be on the business and she did this very you know quick analysis about how i was actually spending my time yeah. and she said you know you don't need to be doing that we can get someone in to help with that we can outsource that and buy back time mm. um in in your working week and and that was really really a big eye-opener for me so i'm seeing this kind of transition still very much on it about how can I, rather than trying to do everything perfectly, how do you get everything to sort of nine out of 10 standard? How can you build, pull more of your team in? How can you hire better people? Um, Where did you find this coach? Um, so did you say? I was beyond lucky, right, with my coach Agnes, who I've worked with literally since we launched. So we launched in April 2012 and met her that month. At a, I went to an entrepreneur network event. I thought I was a new entrepreneur. Yeah, I've got to be on the scene. <laughs> I got, I'll go take my business cards. And it was just by chance, like I, I literally gave but her. There you go. Shows why it was oh, absolutely worth going. Just getting out there. Yeah. She, she, I gave her my pen. Right, we had these new pens of Seven Billion Ideas dot com done. It's the first That's thing you do in business. <laughs> pen it's the first thing you do. That's a business plan. Wouldn't have thought so, mate. I'm busy <laughs> making a t shirt here. Yeah. <laughs> my pet, my, my mates will love me. I give them pens and um, and. I gave her a pen and I said, "Look, have a look. If, have a look at the website. If you think there's enough interesting about getting contact, we'll meet for we'll meet for a coffee." And she um, she was a brilliant lady. She kind of you know straight up up front got in contact and said, Let, "Let's meet for a coffee." And she was the one actually changed our mindset because I sat down, much as I am today, in flip flops and shorts on that particular meeting, and she kind of smirked at me a little bit and she said, "What is seven billion ideas?" And I said, "We're a social media company." bought a cappuccino mm. in Weybridge quite expensive mm. and she got up and she she didn't even More really talk. finish the cappuccino <laughs> she said no you're not I'll see you in three weeks time have a think about it, about what industry and and who you really are 
And the immediate reaction was like, this lady's like incredibly rude. Is that what but, she did? So yeah. she left. She left. She left. Oh, I she like left. her already. She said, I'll see you in three weeks' time. I want you to Sounds think like about who you are. <laughs> no, she's far from that. Agnes is brilliantly. She's just busy. She's busy, crazy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I think a little bit Wearing she was. Aviana's, my meeting. <laughs> but, but she was a little bit like, you know, he's not dressed up, you know. And she, she and it, I was like, she, she made me think. Like, she mm. made me go away and think, you know, who do we want to be? What industry we are? How you define your company? And mm. went back, and, and Agnes has been brilliant. Like, your friends and family can sort of tell you it's going to be okay, give yeah. you a little bit. But when people have been there and done it, and there's loads of people out there who've, who've started businesses, made them a success, they want to give something back, particularly to entrepreneurs they kind of admire or kind of see themselves yeah. a bit of, you know, a younger version of them, you've got to tap into that. These yeah. people I've can, always been surprised at how often people are willing to share their knowledge. Like, people are more than happy to. I think. It's not like this inner circle, but when I meet entrepreneurs, like there's this kind of immediate respect that you've kind of had the bollocks and the courage to get going. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whether or not your business is turning over 50K or a few million yet, you know, you've had the courage to get going. Comfort, and I yeah. think five, 10 minute conversations sometimes can be life changing for, yeah. for these people. With the right person, yeah. So, and nothing, you know, I speak to, I've spoken to some entrepreneurs giving advice a few years ago, now their businesses are turning over X amount of million. You're thinking, mm. blimey, their business is suddenly massive. Yeah. But I go, you know, there's not, I swear to God, there's not an ounce of jealousy. In fact, it's like if I played a tiny, the smallest part on that person's journey, then. I want 10%. I'm yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've caveated the, uh, the conversation. But no, honestly, you go, you're fair play to you. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. ready to help. I think I definitely agree with you. They have to have done it and walked the walk as well. I remember, again, talking about the business that went wrong for me. I took a, uh, a loan from Virgin Startup, okay. part, partly because they offer a mentor. You're still paying like, back that loan to Richard Branson, isn't you? Do you know what? I've actually just finished paying it off Good the other day. It was winding me up, so I just... I didn't, well couldn't really afford it. I was like, I need to get rid of this debt. I'm paying it off. Mm. But yeah, I've, I've, yeah. Yeah, but I say, all I say to you, mate, is congratulations. A, like some people start businesses, right, and they make them a success. And there's a lot of people which start businesses and that they get burnt. Um, but you have the courage to get going. And to me, I would view that. And so me and Jenny decided to remortgage our house um, about four years ago to put, Fifty thousand pounds into into our business, right? We raised that seed capital. We ne needed that next little bit. Um, we didn't want to sell any more shares at the time, and we needed we ne needed that cash really to do some of the things we wanted to do. And you know, part you know, I sat down with my with, with my parents, and my old man said, "It's like it's kind of like a real life MBA, David. Like mm. you're either going to make it success, if not that fifty k." What you've got to make sure is that you've learned from it yeah. for the rest of your long life. So all I'd say to you is like, what did you learn from that? Yeah, and then and it yeah, takes you on to the next thing. And it's yeah. not, a, I'd get your mindset, I'd switch it from, I had a failed business to I had a business which wasn't where I wanted it to be, but I learned X, Y, and Z. Otherwise yeah. it is a complete waste of cash. Yeah, right? the, the mindset switch since then has been massive. But um, yeah, the mentor that I had initially was somebody who worked high up in a telephone company. And um, he wasn't he wasn't like director hire, but he was some kind of team leader. Yeah. And then we were talking, and I met him a few times, and things weren't going great in the business, and I just wasn't getting anywhere with him. He was he was kind of you know throwing some good. He was good at marketing. I think he did marketing for right. um, one of the big phone companies, and I just wasn't really getting anywhere with him. And I decided to say, Do you know what? I've, I've, this is the sole reason I went to Virgin. This isn't working for me. So I said to Virgin. I, th I think I want a new mentor. This isn't. This guy isn't. I'm, I feel he's just not helping me. 
Yeah. Not, not nothing against it. What was him. the business concept at the time? What was it? It was a salad bar. So it was like okay, cool. um, like one of the chains you see in the city. Yeah, yeah. That create your own salad kind of vibe. Um, just isn't working. Is there anyone else? And they said, yeah, it might be, a, might be a couple of months wait, but yeah, we'll try and find a better fit for you. And then they ended up giving me a guy who's helped, like uh, he used to have his own um, sandwich company. So he would make sandwiches for big chains and stuff like that, like pre-made stuff. Yeah. And then since then, he's been like a uh, consulting, started his own consulting firm and he helped roll out Crush and helped him very early days of prep, I think like that. And then straight away, he was giving me things down the line, helping me helping me to, you know. So much suitable To start mental. muddle through it. Yeah. And then I just realized afterwards, why did they give me someone who's never done it before? He's, mm. I found myself thinking, looking across it and thinking, you've never run your own business before ever. You've never been shit scared you can, can't pay your mortgage because of this business you've, st- you've just started you've never had that yeah. worry have you True. and I just needed someone else that had been there before and then again this guy had been there before and he said look I know exactly where you're mm. at he said look I've been there no the, empathy the first, the first, really yeah right. the empathy for, I think that was f- just for me I needed someone that had a bit of yeah, I'd had enough of him crying on my shoulder as well. <laughs> 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 like, yeah, but it's it's crazy, and there's a difference. Some people don't. So my relationship with my mentor is actually paid, right? So it's paid coaching now. Yeah, and same. she she was it, was it all what? Uh, yeah, it was like it, uh, it was a very normal feel like at the start, and, and and my lady's fantastic. Like she, you know, I she. He, she mentors people all over the world in in the sporting world and entrepreneurs and and she dedicates part of her time working with you know entrepreneurs growing their businesses like like us and a lot of people go into it thinking professional coaching right I, I should just be entitled to it I should be able to you know nick people's time you know successful entrepreneurs are busy people okay yeah. even if they've sold their businesses they've probably got a handful of things that they're involved mm. in and that time you know effectively is money for those people so i think it's two things it's having that paid coach who can keep you grounded who's been there and done it and then also just surrounding yourself with incredibly inspirational entrepreneurs you can pick up and learn uh, look at learn things from whatever industry they're in so they're like your kind of extended you know ecosystem mm. around you which is supporting you because like what you said chris your friends and family your influences they can give you some ideas they can shape it but your coach is there right there they, they can they can just go cut through all the rubbish and give you that great bit of advice and then i make sure i've got some great friends doing some amazing stuff like seeing them even once a year or, or, or reading up about them or whatever they kind of keep you going or a quick conversation you can learn from so it's so important to to get you can't no business is built by one person right mm. no one is self-made that's yeah. a load of bollocks it's it's collection of tens hundreds of people helping you yeah um even way before you come up with idea, that idea you go back so i know chris from 20 odd years ago from when we started started school right all the way the, some of the conversations i had then some of the conversations i had in my first job in the pub with my with the uh, the local landlord he actually introduced me to the theory of marginal gains right great conversation um i asked him why are you the only pub in the village which has actually stayed afloat and he kind of poured this pint. He poured two pints in front of me. I was 14. And he said, just watch the difference. The first one was perfectly poured. And the second one, he poured it deliberately wrong. And he said, what's the difference? And I said, the first one, you've just like wasted a bit of beer. And he goes, no, I just chucked 50 pence away. Um, he said, when people pour poor drinks and we're in the drinks industry, you're basically throwing money away. But the difference is compared to like a news agent, you wouldn't open the door and throw a Mars bar out the front of it. He said, that's what it's like when you can't pull a pint properly. Yeah. It's wasted. And he said, and that's, he said to me, a guy called Jerry, 
a brilliant business owner said that's that's what a marginal gain is because i seek marginal gains across my pub and going making sure that i maximize it on a day-to-day basis and i remember mm. that sticking with me even when i was 14 and that's very much yeah. part of our business today so yeah. i think a, another really useful um thing that you can get out of having paid certainly paid mentorship or coaching is like i use my my i've got a, a number of coaches that are paid like ones that i see weekly and then one that i see maybe quarterly different industry different expertise and one thing i use them for is um a way to firstly manage my ego which definitely needs <laughs> a degree of management um but secondly um a, a way of like clarifying uh, and enforcing that reinforcing sorry that what i'm saying is right because i in my i have this narrative in my head all the time mm. like the whole time i'm like that's a good idea that's a shit idea i should do that should be moving quicker on this that's a failure that's a success and i do this with my business partner as well like literally today we were talking about quite a big step that we're going to take for the business and i was like sounds like a good idea and he was like yeah it does sound like a good idea should we do it and he's like i don't know should we and like we <laughs> you've done it before so you people, don't know yeah. yeah that's exactly it is yeah. that we haven't walked this path mm. and so sometimes you need to sit down in a room with someone who has and they go just fucking do it mm. or maybe you should think about that in a little bit more detail um and like if anything like just enabling you to keep moving forward that's what we always say is just whatever you're doing just keep moving forward yeah. it doesn't always have to be in the right direction but if we're moving at least even if we're you're making, crawling yeah, forward i can't yeah, remember yeah. the quote who said it it's like if you can't run then walk if you can't walk, walk then crawl. crawl you know whatever it might be yeah and i think that as well yeah being you say you're going to do something and then you go back to your coach next week next month they say yeah. how's that coming on and then you have to sit there and then yeah. you start listening oh, to yeah, your own. that's pretty good. Start listening. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I've got that really done, actually. Then you start listening to your own bullshit. And that's yeah. like, oh, that's yeah. the thing. Like, and if you've never grown a business, which, not, you know, vast majority of, you know, you start off an entrepreneur, it's your first business, right? Forget about if you if you had some entrepreneurial kind of projects when you were in school, you did a tuck shop. You know, they're brilliant things, right, which happen to you. And, you know, but when you start a business, you know your reputation's on the line mm. you're paying people you know this is real hard real cash like you're not messing around and a lot of things you've never done before and then you've got to start i think once you go through that first phase of building a profitable kind of small business you then got to make a decision is this a lifestyle business for me or am i going to take some bets here and make yeah. this the bigger business yeah. that it could be like i think that journey from zero to one million is incredibly difficult but then the, i'm you know hoping the, the one to ten million kind of turnover You've kind of you're, you're placing much more sensible bets. It's not risk taking; it's calculated risk taking, right? Yeah, then you know the concepts there. Yeah, just you just got to go for it, and your mentor can go look, crack on with it. It's yeah. opportunity. If you don't do it, you're going to miss out on the opportunity. And then, what's the worst that can happen? You know, mm. you don't you don't put everything under pressure that you've ever built, but you you take some take some good risk to make it that bigger entity or bigger business that you want yeah. to make it. Likewise, there is nothing wrong in having that sort of mum and pops business that is a lifestyle Absolutely business not, like no. some people that is like dream boat lifestyle Absolutely, like, yeah. Yeah, too right like you yeah. take you, you, you master of your own dent- uh, uh, you master of your own destiny you know um, they make up vast majority of the businesses in the UK and, yeah. and they're much needed like um, but they, they, some people want to have that lifestyle business or, you know, and that's brilliant and some people want to build a business and some people's business doesn't have a national international potential yeah. right some businesses do um, and those businesses which do, you need to make a decision because I think that's like stage two, right, of your business. You are multiple stages, but it's the next big phase, right? Are, are we going to take the risk? Are we going to 
make that big jump. And we've had sleepless nights on it, thinking about, you know, we've now got the business to a stage where, um, which which is profitable, which is growing. We've got a good brand reputation. Do we want to go the extra mile? And, and the Was question that is- that point when you remortgaged the house, one of them? Well, that was, to me, that was like, you know, I'm genuinely not going to get on my deathbed and be that bloke which just chatted about ideas all my life and never did anything about it. I wanted to, to, to be, you know, I wanted to, to give it a go. And I always backed myself. Like, I knew I was, I had a solid foundation. I knew I could pick up a job afterwards. Um, I, it was a lot, a huge amount of money. But um, to me, I was going, look, if it pays off, then I've kept a big chunk of my business, which now I can invest in people and, and, and invest in the business. Yeah. So that was big. But it, to be honest, it's, it's been in the last couple of years since having children. It's now the next big decision about all those sacrifices you make. What sacrifices are we going to make going forward? And I'm yeah. spending much more time overseas, internationally, oh, you know, um, in different parts of the world. And, and that's kind of the short term sacrifices we're taking. But, you know, making sure you're not away from the family too much. But, you know, me and Jenny talked about it before, you know, we. We, we know there's something untapped still. We've got, to, we've got to see it to ourselves to go and explore it over the yeah, next couple of years. Yourselves, right? yeah. 100%. Did you find having, it's Toby, isn't it? Toby, yeah. 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 Um, the, that was like a catalyst for you, like thinking, right, I've got someone, another human to, another extra human to look after now. Rick's yeah. just a new dad, by the way. Oh, congratulations, mate. Boy, girl. Boy. Yeah. Fantastic. Boy, Teddy. Teddy. For five months. Well done. Congratulations. They're shaking hands. They're shaking hands. <laughs> I can't get involved. <laughs> I got a little and, and Harry as well. Toby and to, uh, Toby and Harry's uh, Harry's eight months old. But yeah, I mean, what was weird about it was yeah, it was another another person to to think about. What's been nice is actually seeing him grow up in the business a little bit. He's got a desk next to my desk. He's coming in and beginning yeah, to like know people's names. Early, mate. He right. knows how to bring the post upstairs, which is cool. Like, yeah. but. Doing tax returns. <laughs> <laughs> get him on social media Doing a bit. Yeah. Now, I, I tell you what the difference actually, because we had an education business. So we got at, an office at home a bit. Uh, we, we did have an office at home, yeah. That became Tobe's uh, toy room now. Yeah. Um, but it was actually being, realising that Toby was going to go to school, right, in four or five years from being born. And obviously having visibility of so many schools around the UK and around the world, all honesty, became a little bit petrified about what he was going to walk into. Right. And it kind of gave me this new energy that 7 Billion Ideas has got a responsibility to to, to, to really help the education sector um, teach entrepreneurship and creativity properly in schools, but innovation. So it kind of gave me this new surge of energy for like, which I think is going to last for, 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 for decades to come to about actually we're shifting from a company which is delivering services into a company which I hope can make a huge impact. How can we genuinely help this particular sector innovate? Um, so I found it just gave me a new, new lease of, you know, new release of energy yeah. to go. Actually, we want to be more. You know, I want to make sure Toby goes grows up in an education system which is innovative, yeah. which is giving them skill sets that he Don't needs. Don't want to be worried about what he's learning or not learning. Yeah, and so it, it was a kind of a, a weird shift for me. You know, I just you know wanted to reach his. His potential and be happy yeah. that's all i want him to be and yeah. i don't think the vast majority of schools have that system in place which is about finding your why going back to what we talked about to me that's what a school should be yeah find your why go explore go fail try new sports hobbies first uh, 
chat with my careers advisor at, at secondary school actually do you remember doing careers yeah. advisors what do they tell you I don't think I turned up I can't remember I think it was a <laughs> bit <laughs> Chris is playing rugby somewhere yeah. Yeah. I think it was a bit like the um, have you seen the Mickey Flanagan sketch on the careers advisor yeah. you'll never drive a van <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a bit like one of them but it's like they'll give you options you could do this and they're all just random you know you'd kind of pick a shelf off the job there's nothing there's no no questions about finding your why or any of that or any of that kind of thing. You know, careers. The, oh, jeez, it's the most one of the most important departments. Yeah, it's crazy. And isn't in it? the in in education, but the vast, you know, vast majority of unfortunately you know, career advisors out there haven't. You know, just they're doing their best, right, with the tools that they've got. But you need you need people in there who you know realize that the things that they say to that child can have an everlasting impact. Yeah. You know, it can genuinely have. You know, you get kids say, I want to be a footballer. And one of the first things, you know, you're not good enough. But actually think about the football industry is huge. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. go do something else in the industry. I want to be a doctor. You're not good yeah, enough. Yeah, you aren't good enough. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. But you could, but you could <laughs> but clean about, the boots. But what about being a coach? <laughs> you know, but that's what it should be. And a lot of them are, is going, you know, thinking about high salary jobs. but And then and then advising incorrectly very early on, you know. So to me, that is one of the biggest roles in a school. And, you know, I'm lucky to be a director of entrepreneurship in, in a handful of schools around the world, which we, we have a bit more time with. But, you know, that should be in every school. Entrepreneurship being in that school. Seems weird. We, we touched on this briefly before we started recording. Um, and I don't know whether I'm oversimplifying this. I'm pretty certain I am. But some of these, like, subjects that are being taught in schools now seem a touch, well, yeah. seem pretty archaic. <clears throat> like, and, uh, you know, I... Uh, I've never used 80% of what I learned at school. I mean, I've certainly never had to use Pythagoras theorem, but I've had to know a lot about tax, a lot yeah, about mortgages, yeah. a lot about employment, um, a lot of like just finances, how to read P&Ls, cash, cash flow. flow. Like, yeah. And not saying that everyone is going to end up being an, an entrepreneur, um, but a lot of those topics that I've just mentioned everyone needs to know about yeah but Chris the biggest thing you probably learn from, from what I know about, about you is resilience right and that was probably not in the classroom it was probably on the sports field yeah yeah that's that's what's you know that's when I think of my time at school I just remember you know you, yeah. you remember a few things handful of moments that like conversation where a teacher who doesn't even teach you says something nice about you or you know a defeat on a sports field where you kind of pick yourself up and you go I don't like that feeling I don't want to yeah. lose and you know honestly give me half an hour of Boris Johnson and I could rip and replace and just give him some proper guidance on what to Am do am I over that no though, you're not that mate no. it just seems it's, bizarre it's, but it's, 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 it's decades hundreds of years yeah. of the same doing the same thing over and over again. And when a school is, and a head teacher's told, um, you know, league tables is what their performance is on, it's like a KPI, that's yeah, all they're gonna concentrate business. on. Yeah. When, why don't we have league tables around the most creative schools in the UK? Mm. Who are doing the most creative stuff in the classroom? Who are trying stuff and failing, right? And then celebrating failure in the education system because that school tried something, it didn't quite work, but at least they had the courage to do it. You know. You gotta just honestly, you gotta rip up the whole thing yeah, and start it's, again. It's, it's nonsensical. Some of this, like the sets and like like for for students that perform better really early on when they're very young, are then given like more coaching, more teaching at a better level. Yeah. Where the people who perhaps need it more are given like less. There's I, I forget what book it's in. Maybe tip, Tipping Point or Malcolm Gladwell possibly. No, Outliers. Right. Is. And and they're talking about. Um, 
the, your birth date relative to the amount of coaching you get you got in, in school and college sports. Okay. And they were saying that relative to the time of year you were born, you could be up to nearly 12 months younger than someone else in your school year. Yeah. So when it came to playing a sport, the people who were like chronologically nearly 12 months older performed much better because that year is such a big time anatomically for you to change that they got then coached as like the best athletes. So then over the course of the remaining time at school, they got much better coaching. So they their skill set improved by much, much more. So just because they were born at different times of the year, they would end up getting much bigger opportunity. And it translated into professional sports. Mm. Right. So if you look at the Premier League, like a, 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 a big majority of the players are born at that earlier, earlier time within their school year. So that alone, is madness. Well, it's all like I, I think I've heard a study around the amount of Olympic gold medals you know, when they're actually born in the year, and there's 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 a high proportion. I, I don't forgive, you, but but saying what you're saying, yeah. and um and and again, like my little boy Toby is um he's turned he just turned three. He's an August baby, and he's had speech delay. So I know when he goes into school next September. He's going to be firstly one of the youngest in the years, yeah. but compared to some of the girls in like reception, he could be two years or yeah, even three yeah, yeah. years behind from a language point of view. And it's not fair, really, is it? If he was born three weeks later, four weeks later, he would have had another year before going into school. But you know, so all of these things, I think we've got to be more agile in education. I think 100%. we just got to start. Like, quite frankly, I guess you know, when you meet new people, I meet new people in my applying for jobs and seven billion ideas and. I don't really care what's on yeah. this. I, I sit in front of them and go, do I like this person? Will my clients like them? Will the team like them? And can they do the job in that order? If I can't yeah. stand them because their soft skills and yeah. communication skills aren't strong, then how are they going to work in the business? And equally, if they can't fit in the team, yeah. it does. It all needs yeah. to change. Yes, it really does. I bet, I bet you're even <laughs> thinking, you know, you said lastly, can you do this job? If there's a doubt, you're like, well, I think we could train you. We could coach, help you. Yeah, to do absolutely. This job yeah. And One thing that with the right person, the with those, um, person. like with CVs, for example, I see a lot of CVs. Yeah. Well, not so much anymore. George, who David knows as well, who's our general manager, like is excellent at dealing with that now. Um, but th those CVs, no one in the history of reading a CV has read that first little fucking paragraph <laughs> that says, "Hey, I'm super creative and work as part of a team." Why is that? Why is that still a thing? Ask uh, me. Uh, what, you a must CV know. or that first? No, the, just the first paragraph. It's because what people are trained to do. I mean, why don't we send in videos rather like a 30 <laughs> yes. second video? Waste every, save everybody's time. You know, um, I think you might have just changed the CV forever. <laughs> Come you on. But you talk about <laughs> communication within a business, right, as well. The way we do things, you've got to challenge it, right? And, you know, the CV, we had 88 applicants for a recent job, right, um, in, in 7 billion ideas. It was extraordinary. About 74 of them were me. <laughs> Chris just <laughs> desperate to get out. But, you know, but people, I, to be honest, when I look at CV, I'm scanning it and I'm looking for numbers. I'm looking for a few things to yeah. what makes this person interesting and different. And have they tried to be a little bit different to stand out? And then. And then we had to save time, like, you know, when you're getting hundreds of people, you have to think about your interview process. So you can't have them come in for a half an hour chat yeah. because to be honest, you made the decision in 30 seconds. So we introduced Skype interviewing um, and straight away, can the person get online, right? Are they tech savvy enough to get on Skype? Which is pretty straightforward. Do they care about what they're wearing in a Skype interview and the background? Straight away, that tells you a lot about that person. Right. And then you made yeah. the decision. So shortlist people straight, straight away. And I don't, have time now to sit down with loads of candidates so basically my new hr director joe um 
I wish I, someone said to me, your seventh employee should be HR. And I did it a little bit late, a lot, lot later than that. Yeah, and I wish I did it earlier, you know, and she, is, she, she managed to be, you know, there's 88 candidates. She got it down to three people for me. And, and then I basically made a decision, Dave, and I was like, bang, so much time being saved. But What are you looking for them to be wearing? Wearing, I just take care in your appearance. You know what? It doesn't, you don't have to be, you know, fully appreciate we might have a busy work, a busy mum, just got the kids to bed or whatever it might be. I'd, as long as they take a bit of care. Like yeah. If they're looking like they've just got off the beach or out the shower, you're like, come on. Always let them stand up as well. I <laughs> Always stand up. Yeah, I think so. Not for the whole interview, but I want to see if people have made an effort on the bottom half of their body. Because <laughs> <laughs> they've, they've got a nice shirt tie. He's got a suit tie. <laughs> Maybe they're the, looking for their own marginal gains months, in life. Yeah. Like, I can't be yeah. asked to find yeah. my trousers yeah. and my socks. I'm just going to Time is money, my man. Time. Time is money. Yeah. But it is, the, yeah, you know, going back to educate, I wish, but it doesn't have to be, and I think you guys appreciate it. Something I've been saying in, I'm doing a bit more speaking in the old, in, in the old education sector and about how do you embrace a world-class mentality in education. And something I say about it is you don't have to have a world-class budget, right, to have a world-class mentality that costs nothing. Right, you might not have the millions of pounds in the bank as a school to build the best sporting facilities, but you can switch everybody's, like literally switch everyone overnight to having a world-class mentality. And to mm. me, that is being relentless and looking for continuous improvement ideas every single day, right? That's what schools should be doing, really appreciating all those gripes and moans that have been around for decades. Fix them, all right? The vast mm. majority of those things are fixable without costing any money. Yeah. Just go and fix it, okay? Um, and there's a lot of wins out there, a lot of quick wins that's, that schools can, 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 can implement, which don't cost that much money. Granted, there are some ideas which might, might need some investment, but if you start taking a lot of those things out of the loop, start taking some risks in schools, you can make a massive, massive difference. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's, and it's getting people, you know, entrepreneurship is what we use, but entrepreneurship, fundamentally, it's about creativity. You know, whether or not you're going to be an entrepreneur, whether or not you're going to go into sport, whether or not you're going to work in a business, you've got to be creative. Right, you're on the rugby pitch, football pitch, the best players are the most creative. You're an entrepreneur, you're creative. If the best people in businesses are creative, that's what schools should be geared up to, is helping someone to find their why and be as creative as they possibly can, being as confident as they can be in their own ability by the time that they leave. It's not difficult. And there's some small changes you can make which overnight would just transform what students come out of when they're 18 or 21 when they yeah. come out of uni. Yeah, it really would. 100%. Right. Get more role change. models. I mean, Chris, if you came, you know, you get weekly, like assemblies to me is a massive, you know, missed opportunity. You know, most assemblies are, are rubbish, right? You know, there are, you know, you take Seven Oaks as a region, tens of thousands of people here. There's hundreds of inspirational entrepreneurs who would give up 20 minutes of their time, probably once a term to pop into schools yeah. and say, this is my story. Now you say that, I can't believe how obvious thing that is today yeah but it's good for the entrepreneur to promote their business and it's and enjoy talking about it but the give back and you know you could go in and go i relate to chris you know or i relate to jenny or I relate to whoever it might be and that could be that that could be the connection that you make in the drive yeah. it doesn't take a huge amount um at that age to be influenced either no, no. I can remember like handfuls of situations yeah like you were saying earlier small little things that might start. having said that i mean there is absolutely hundreds of teachers out there that are inspiring kids Big and are time. doing this, right? Yeah. But they might be in a, in a school that, you yeah, know, it's not isn't their behind fault, innovation is it? and stuff. You know, there might be some great teachers no, that I, I, are actually sparking. There are brilliant teachers. And the problem in the UK is you've got 10% of the teaching profession leaving it. 
right? Because massive retention issues annually. Yeah, really. And secondary schools in the UK are due to rise by about 19, 20% over the next decade. So class sizes are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm. There are undoubtedly world-class teachers in our schools um, all over the country. Um, but one of the biggest things is, one of the biggest challenges is is leadership you know there is money in the sector there's money in the academies and the states granted not loads and loads but it, the, one of the biggest problems i think is having a head teacher who's business savvy enough to deal with a good budget so in no other profession do you go from like head of a department to deputy head you know suddenly you run a budget you're running yeah. you've got 200 yeah. members of staff you've got multi-million pound budget to look after you've got to think about the marketing of the school the hr of the school you're you're a ceo right yeah. when you're ahead but you get no training so suddenly you're put into that position because oh, you're brilliant yeah, in the classroom, oh, yeah. you're a brilliant teacher, but not all brilliant teachers make, make great head teachers, right? The, the best head teachers I've met around the world basically run their school like a CEO. And that's what a school I think should have, right? You should have a CEO of a school, then you have your head who's looking after the academic side. But the CEO of the school is maximizing every purchase, is investing in the future, is marketing the school, is, is getting the best out of its employees. You know, you could do that very, you know, that would be a very simple switch. And it would make good business sense as well, because the schools would thrive, money wouldn't be wasted, and you'd make some, you could make some big changes in the classroom quite, quite quickly. Yeah. Right, that's, to me, if I was Minister of Education today, I'd definitely be exploring that and piloting that in schools. And seeing what happened. Shit, I'm in. I'm in. You're in. Good. Everyone's convinced. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, never thought of, no, of that before. Head teachers running budgets and how they've expected to be able to do that, as well as manage people, as well as. So some of these international schools might have 30, 40 million pound turnover. This is this huge amount of money, right? These private schools as well, and they get a big knocking in the in the sector, but they save the they save the economy billions of pounds each each year. Um, and they do a lot. A lot of schools have brilliant out private schools and international schools have brilliant outreach programs. But when you start owning that kind of budget, right, you're not a teacher anymore, right? You might, you have a no, solid understanding for the industry. Right. You are running a business. Yeah. Um, and equally, those people can waste money left, right and center, can make poor, poor decisions. But so there's a big part of training which needs to be done, which is getting a, a teacher business business ready, right? For, for that big jump up yeah. or equally why don't you just curveball it and why why yeah, don't you CEOs have CEO. just have a CEO yeah. who's got an understanding of education but just running it like a business is, is the money there to pay that CEO well if they run the budget's there to run the business so if they can yeah, you probably effectively then exactly yeah. it, 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 I think it should be explored at least yeah, yeah. yeah. exploration good word I'm going to use that now as if you've never said it never I, said I, it I'm going to use it with all my staff so caveat um i've got another question for you go for it mate um so everything you're saying and just your general demeanor is very positive and upbeat so that's good um but Thank you. <laughs> what i want to know david is has there ever been a time where you thought fuck this <laughs> right not necessarily um what the hell am I yeah, doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, a better term. Yeah, definitely. Because I've had stuff like that. You know, I've had times, certainly when it's got hard or when I'm stressed. And I, I've never thought I'm going to give up on this. But there's times where I've thought, this is harder than it should be. Yeah. Um, and I guess the reason I ask that is that there are a lot of entrepreneurs who are super passionate about an idea. Um, like we discussed before, Rick, that, you know, you can really love your industry and love the like day-to-day -day, like 
running of the in, uh, of your business but then when the going gets tough it sucks the fun out of it mm. um and and for some people uh there might be a difficulty in letting go of a failure or chasing the success for a bit too long yeah, you know too and right. that's um, unavoidable as well isn't it the fact that yeah. you may love the industry you love your job but every now and again some task something yeah some challenge some well like we were saying before before we right. started recording just because you bake a good cake doesn't mean you can run a good bakery and we've said that yeah. before that you go from being working in your business to working mm -hmm. on your business and and um your job role changes very much um but that is a difficult it's difficult sometimes to swallow your pro i've done it before we we opened a gym in wimbledon um and it was wrong time in wrong location it was just about washing its face i was doing a full lap of the m25 every day trying yeah. to get to all three and it just wasn't worth it i held on to that for three four months too long that cost me may, maybe 20 30 grand for, for, for pride yeah 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 um and I think certainly if you're running your first business, if you've done, if you've not had those, that's why those failures are so important, right? Mm. Because that's the only way you learn. Big time. But if you're running your first ever business, you know that can be life changing. Yeah, because you can put yourself in a big hole doing that. So, um, yeah, I guess the question is, at what point? What are those benchmark points or red flags that you would say is the time to be? swallowing your pride and like giving not yes. giving up I want for want of a better term like moving on well I started saying um, there's highs question, Chris. great question, question. Great. no it's, it's <laughs> an important one like yeah, I started saying there's highs and lonely ship okay you, there's not highs and lows it's your decision when you're starting up an entrepreneur and it's very easy when the cash is beginning to come in um, and the business is going well but you, you're only ever one phone call away from a bad situation equally or one phone call away from a great opportunity or whatever it might be or one conversation sorry and um, most of it all, all honesty comes you know most of my mood sometimes reflected by is by reflected by cash and how agile we can be and there's times where you are like jeez what well, how have i got myself into the situation you know are we going to see our way out of it i could just be earning you know a nice salary job in the yeah. city are the sacrifices here are they worth it? Yeah, of course there's been. You know, of course there's been. You know, it's, it's like, it was about six months ago. Like, even like now where the business is, is going, like you, you can be, you know, you, you can be in tears. Like you're like, what is going on here? And the frustration's creeping up and your your email, your inbox is like growing and, um, and but, and there's, you've got to find a way out of it. Like if you're passionate about it or you've got to make a decision like, stop it. That's not a new product line or a revenue stream which is exploring. And I, when I look at our growth, it was only when we started saying no to some things that mm. we've been doing early doors. Like you're trying to get your first invoices and contracts. You're trying to get some cash into the company. And then you start kind of actually reducing what your service portfolio, then you can start growing. So when yeah. we started saying getting the emotion out and looking at it as a business decision, are those workshops or days sensible? You know, no. Why are we doing them when we're losing, could, you know, potentially losing money when you start looking at the GP? When you start saying no, you can concentrate on your efforts, which is going to make you profitable. Yeah. And we were trying to take something to market last year in the first for, first form of it. And we'd gone through this product development phase for about 16 weeks. I, I called it a sprint. It was like, literally, we need to try and get like 16 months work done in 16 weeks um, and and really, really push hard on it and see how far we can take it. Get it to a point that we can go test the value proposition with some of the right customer personas. And I, I was like, we nailed it here. We've worked our socks off here. This is ready. 
and literally took it to about 20 people which we said look we think these are going to be our customers yeah. and like everybody literally was just telling us it was it was awful and we're like what generally like, to me this was like the next big bet yeah. like, what a big bet for the company and and it just it t- took me to like a place like i was like really like seriously like we we'd been thinking about this and got this ready and then i kind of had a decision to make i was like I had to go and reflect on what everybody said here rather than keeping investing in this particular idea that we had and um and sat back and gone right you know you know it isn't as polished as we thought it was right yeah. we need to reinvent it take it down a different direction or kick it into touch and actually what i decided to do was like sleep on it but sleep on it for six months yeah and no, go common. I'll, I'll come back <laughs> to <wise> this <laughs> i'll come back to this at the start of the year and go i'll go learn a few lessons have a few different kind of conversations and and then we decided right actually we, we got the market wrong. We weren't listening to people. We should have started off by listening to people a little bit more mm. and then reinventing it. So yeah, it, of course there is. The loneliness of it, you know, that survival cash bit I think is key. Like yeah, the more yeah. you can give yourself that breathing space, but the more you don't waste your money, appreciate your first clients, look after them, get that early word of mouth. It just, it does hopefully spin it around and make it into a situation. But I'm pretty sure like the next five years are gonna give us different kind of worries. And you know, yeah. there will be, points where you're going really what am i doing but then you've got to take yourself back out and go what's the bigger picture here that's exactly right one thing you've just got got to remember well firstly you can you can play out these i mean i do this all the time i play out these whole scenarios yeah yeah and i know i shouldn't be doing it um and very very rarely does it happen like very part of decision making though um I, i guess probably to an extent but like to the point where i'm like quite often i could be up at night like thinking the shit out of something <laughs> right when it's already been done it's the decision's really, really been made so like the decision may have already been made the action's been taken and then i'm still thinking about it and i'm mindful of that but it doesn't mean it's easy to stop yeah. um, no it doesn't it's, but it one thing i've learned over time is just everything will be all right because you do have to think about the bigger picture. You do have to think about the bigger picture. And I always, you, you, that's what you've got to do. Like you've had the courage to get your business where it might be. You know, you, now you've got to be sensible and let it grow. Um, you know, don't take, you take calculated risks. You don't take risks which you're going to completely, you've done a, you, you get to a point like this stage where you've done a huge amount of work, right? You've mm. got a, a really good growing business. You don't, you don't go and risk it all, right? Um, you make calculated risks yeah. and, and everything will be all right. But you, this, you're just talking about being at night, you know, entrepreneurship and it is 24 seven. I everyone, don't care. It? It's, yeah. You're constantly thinking, you know, it's your family, kids, business, family, kids, you know, it's that kind of order. It, it, it's, it is relentless. And that's the word I'm using more and more. It is relentless and, and it should be. Mm. And you should have that contagious energy like every single day. And as soon as you don't, as soon as the energy dries up, then then to me that's sort of time to sort of saying right i need to package and sell it and exit this business because you've taken it as far as you can yeah uh, because you have you owe it to your employees and your client base to, that they've, they've invested in you you keep bang you keep going you keep hitting the drum and at any given point you're not giving them the service that you would have given them on day one that's your job to start thinking about your exit plan and potentially next venture or whatever it might be yeah, yeah. and if you've got that contagious energy you're still relentless on day you know, five thousand as day one, then 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 you keep building your business, right? Yeah, which really does relate back to having the why, doesn't it? Because yes, yeah, yeah. that's the resilience you need is that why, isn't it? Yeah. Otherwise, if you but didn't have that, you've got to make emotional decisions, and then you've got to make unemotional decisions. It's really difficult because sometimes going with your gut 
gets you where you are. And then sometimes you've got to step back. And I think the more responsibilities as your payroll increases, more people, you've got to take like, you've got to take the emotion out of it. You've got to look at profitability, the market size, whatever it might be, and then make, you know, make, make a decision, which isn't going to, you make you know because at the end of the day what people forget of an entrepreneur and small business owner is if they're the director of the company it's the buck will always come back to them yeah. and what that actually means from a bank's point of view is if if like shit it's the fan and everything goes you know at the wrong way it's it's your financial you're accountable for it okay your house is on the line your car's on the line everything's on the line that's the pressure that an entrepreneur kind of lives with yeah. some people squash it some people live with it more than they should do but you can't go around sort of fear and failure all the time. No. Otherwise, new things are never going to happen. I think, yeah, some, you definitely have to take the emotion out of a lot of things. Yeah, I'd big imagine. time. Particularly when you say you pitch that idea and everyone's like, nah. <laughs> it's so, you know, I think it's impossible not to take that personally for a while. I guess the trick would be to catch yourself dwelling on it. I oh, know, I'd be stewing no, on that for yeah. ages. Right, excuse me, sorry. <laughs> but I think you quite understood what I was saying. Good back. Um, sorry. <laughs> but it happens in companies, right? Okay, so it's not just entrepreneur. I think the important thing to talk about is entrepreneurship, right, as well. When an employee comes up with a great idea, you know, as a business owner, you want to create an environment where they are going to share that idea yeah. and come forward with it because, you know, they're, you know, it's typically businesses are built off hundreds of ideas who are all coming together. So it's, it's having the courage to start your business, but I think it's also important if you've got an idea about the business or community in, you've got to have the courage to to just come forward. And I think a business owner and, and leader's got to create that environment. Like if someone knocks on the door now and goes, look, you, look guys, why, why are we doing it like this? Why don't we do it like that? Then you've got, to, you've got to listen to them. If it's a great idea, act on it. If it's not so great an idea, go and ask them to think about it or squash it in an appropriate kind of way. Because it takes a huge amount of courage to start a business, but also I think it's very easy for sometimes entrepreneurs to f forget, or business owners or managing directors, whoever they might be, that when someone comes forward with an idea in, a, in, in, the, in, in the workplace, you've got a responsibility to listen to them and then act on it. Because if you're looking for those marginal gains, it could be an absolute game changer. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as, as the leader of a company as well, you have to show some... You have to show their, show your employees and your company that you care, you do care about them, and you do care about their ideas. Big time. I read quite a lot about companies and cultures, and I'm quite into that. A, a company's culture. I think a small company can have a culture. Obviously, I guess it must get harder the bigger the company gets to have a culture. But well, I don't know. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's still possible. But I guess that comes from the top down, doesn't it? The culture is. Yeah, and, and that's that's how your job changes. I think as a CEO, I think you're managing the culture. I think you're managing emotion, right? I think the E in CEO stands for emotion. Like you've got a lot of them. You start hiring people, you get, they bring their emotion. Stands for executive. <laughs> I know it stands for executive. <laughs> to me, I was thinking bloody hell. Actually, part, a big part of your job as a CEO is handling the emotion of your team, your clients, yeah. whoever it might be, getting the best out and of people. And your own as well, right? And your own, you can't, you're a performer, right? When you go into work every day, if you go over, you know, you've had a difficult morning, difficult night, whatever it might be, You've got to go and perform. You know, that is what a CEO's job is. You've got to make sure all the people work underneath you feel confident, empowered, and going to go give, you know, do a month's work in a day, right? Yeah. That's what you've got to kind of try to do. If you go in and set the tone off poorly, mm. um, then you can bring everybody down, reduce productivity instantly. Yeah. So I found my role changing, right? From a, a bloke with an idea to a startup entrepreneur to becoming like, 
a CEO, right? That that is a bit of a journey, and you see your responsibility shift, and that that shifts really when your client base gets bigger and you start employing people, and then then it's like, how do I become a CEO of a bigger organisation where risks I are found different? That, I found that's the hardest bit is managing the emotions of other people. I can barely manage my own. That's yeah, it's not for you yeah. that part, is it? It's difficult, well, it, isn't it? Kind of has to be, but yeah. like no, to a degree, yeah. but. Um, don't teach you that at school right? I'm working on yeah yeah sometimes it's just like I think certainly when you've got a lot of staff it is there's so many different personalities and you have to deal with everyone different. it feels like an HR job sometimes it is yeah well it kind of is isn't it I guess I've recently been tasked um, with to do a lot of project management so I've found myself right okay I'm the leader here so like literally my energy matters to the team now yeah. you know, I might be managing a team of eight or nine freelancers they're mm. all you know really professional um, very successful in their own right it's got their own ideas some of them don't like taking orders from other people but they probably appreciate that every project does need a manager mm. so, yeah. and it's so difficult sometimes you ask someone to do something and you see the look they give you or they'll say why do you want to do it like that and, and I'm, I'm all for listening if they've got another another you know, an idea of well, why don't we do it like this? I'm like, perfect, yeah, better idea than mine. Go and do it that way. But sometimes, you know, as the project manager or the CEO, you just know it has to be this way because mm. of other things that might be going on in your head. But you want people to sometimes respectively challenge your decision making, yeah. and then you need people to go on and, and go implement what, what what needs to be done. But it's really difficult um, because people, you never know what's going on at home or exactly they're bringing right. decades yeah. of, not baggage, but decades of experience, potentially baggage in, yeah. into the office. And it's that environment you've got to create to make sure it's it's really difficult. It's such mm. a challenge not to just say, because I fucking said so. <laughs> <laughs> but Fix every it. now and again, maybe yeah. you have to, right? Sometimes, some people need that, need that directness. Some people want it as well. Yeah. I thought, I kind of took a bit, I, I've tried to, I think, naively maybe two three years ago I, I wanted to create an environment where we weren't micromanaging we were kind of setting a brief crack on with it but then i learned actually a lot of people do want to be micromanaged yes. yeah. yeah and i didn't you know i was like I, that kind of took me for six job, like, you're learn, learning everybody's personalities and the way to you might manage this person different to how you manage that person That's some people want the weekly or daily chat and you're like don't have the time for it but some people like do i let me go I'll speak in three months time and you just yeah. know they're going to perform or outperform or do whatever it yeah. might be it's, it's 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 a balancing act and that's why I wish in a, a little bit of a way I pointed that uh, you know, Joe my HR lady a little bit earlier because you know some maybe some uh, some mistakes wouldn't have been made but yeah it's but you know if you want a bigger business you've got to nail that you've got to you've got to hire people smarter than you better than you fit in uh, got the right personality that mm. that's the only way you build a much bigger business yeah. um and so i've got a whole newfound respect for hr and recruitment and and culture building and we are only you know we're only really we've kind of got a culture uh, but it's hard to sort of put it down in in writing yeah, i was going to yeah. come back to we never found out what the the uh, mentor was saying about finding your fuel and i, I guess it's part of the culture it's like the question that and it must be similar for you, Chris. Do we go down this route? Do we do this or not? It must be a really good idea, actually, to have that fuel and actually go back to, right, who are we, what are we, what do we do, to answer them bigger questions for what route you should take things and what you should... Yeah. Did you ever find that fuel? Yeah, well, so, so, my, so the fuel we... Well, we well, uh, well, wasn't the fuel your time? Well, it was, it was yeah, it was, yeah. Okay. <laughs> 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 Thanks for listening. Play that back tomorrow and listen to that. Um, 
so the fuel was the so it was two so Agnes, my mentor, said, like, you're not a social media company, work out who you are. And then when I brought in Lola, who came in from the aviation industry for operations, he said, you've got to work out your fuel. And that was my time. So we started looking how I was analyzing. Now, I'm dyslexic, so I spend a huge amount of time trying to get to the bottom sometimes of what an email is saying and responding. Um, so one of the things we did about three, four months ago and is, is hire a full-time EA for me. And we had people do it like a, like a bit of a PA job rather than an EA, which is executive assistant. And the first thing I do every morning now is I leave a voice note. I have my inbox and I'll leave, can you please respond to X, Y, and Z in this manner? Uh, could, you, um, could you file that? Could you um, say to that person, I'm gonna come back to them? And for the first time ever, I'm like in meetings and my inbox is going down mm. and people responding. Uh, because my EA is saying it in exactly the same way I'd like to say it, but I'm not spending a few minutes well, not a few minutes, 20, 30 minutes trying to write an email. Yeah. And that is buying me back so much time to start making much more strategic and better decisions and concentrate on being out there with clients, speaking about the business and hopefully bringing in more business. Do you work remotely? Uh, we've got a very flexible, flexible work environment. All I say is about 25% of the week being in the office. And most right. people do more because they enjoy being in the office. But um, I, I don't quite frankly care where people work as long as they get the work done. Um, and most people come in a couple of days a week and then work at home, which is cool. And when you've got a kind of a growing small office, sometimes it's actually quite hard to work and get head down in the office with people talking. I oh, couldn't can, can <laughs> so, agree more. So people kind of shoot and work in the library, work, in, work at home, work in coffee, coffee shops, shops yeah. work in the park. I don't care. We kind of got this unwritten trust rule, right? I trust anybody who comes to work for us, but the break of trust, that's kind of game over. So if you take the piss, you know, that, that's it. And no one's ever done that. Like you just give people that kind yeah. of flexibility. See, I, I find it difficult to, it sounds like you're handing over and outsourcing quite a lot of work. And I've been burnt by that before. And and now I'm just really, I'm a bit of a nightmare of just keeping hold of everything. Yeah. Perhaps that's what I should do. Well, certainly what I should do a bit more of. Just finding the right people to deliver what you want. Yeah. Maybe, I'm, maybe I'm just, that's the ego, isn't it? But it's, it, I'd say the best thing we did, right, from a recruitment point of view, we were thinking about, we had our effectively two types of employees. There's one going out, delivering a lot of our work, and we were building our operations and kind of finance HR team internally. And we were like, where, you know, we're a growing small business without huge amount of cash. Um, where are we going to find these good people? And Jenny said, look, there's an incredibly active um, mums network on Facebook, this community where we're around. Um, like 20,000 sort of mums on this um, uh, on this Facebook page, you know, all helping each other out, exchanging goods, whatever it might be. And that we advertised like our first job on that, and we're inundated with applicants. And so the vast majority of my staff now are, um, are working mums, working 25, 30-hour contracts, coming in, doing the sort of 9 till 2, 30, 3 o'clock day, um, and, you know, don't want to go back into the city and so walk to work, drop the kids off, come in. There's a quarter of a million people live in a two, three mile radius of, of Surbiton because you've got Kingston as well. And, and have come in, most resourceful people, innovative, can get a lot of stuff done mm. quickly. And we started hiring some incredibly professional people from, from, that, from that community. So vast majority of our hires today have actually you know, been the working, working mum, which has been fantastic for us. 
and and now we're investing more as we grow we're investing in those people which took a leap of faith with us and they're coming to us because they they love what we do they've got children in education you know they want to work for something which is inspirational and, and, and local as well and when we started getting in good people like that i was like right, okay now we can start not it's not about offloading you're going right we want to do this properly yeah. you know you've got operational experience I haven't, you know, I'm doing the best I can. Come and look at this with a completely different lens and take us to the next level, right? Yeah. And, and that was game-changing for us. It really, really, really was. And you feel, I imagine, that you're not just putting out fires all the time, that you're actually, like, making strategic progress. Stuff is happening. And yeah. people Do you come still feel like that? Well, you feel like your fires are just changing a little bit. Like, you're, that some of the things that you were dragged into or eating up so much time is, is being done now, and it's been done in a better way. And that, like, you know it's brilliant so i know i can go on holiday next week and the business is growing right so mm. rather than being waiting for me to return it's it's, it's a fantastic feeling there yeah. um, but you still got now what you're trying to do is i kind of call it first aid like if, if i have any sessions with my sort of new managers and and, and leaders i go I, I call it what's a first aid we call it a first aid session literally what is stopping you doing your job which i can fix for you okay anything which i can fix quickly whether it be you know, reallocating budget, putting a phone call into a client, shifting, you know, that's what I hope hoping to get to. So it's quickly what's what's on your first aid yeah. list. And then is there anything more strategically you wanna you wanna talk yeah. about? So you, you fight your fires are in different places yeah. uh, as as you grow. You're always fighting an element of fire. But it is a great feeling when you go from that kind of one two man or woman band and then you start expanding and getting some really good talent in there who just own it and you know at the end of the day that's what probation periods are for like you've got you've got to put people under contract you've got to make sure after that first three months that they're on on point if not yeah, you've sure got to be got brave to enough to get kiss a, kiss a few frogs as well on the way you've right? got you've got to take it yeah exactly you know and and actually from a hr point of view you people push you to make make some more uh, quicker decisions on it and that that's been really beneficial for us as we grow. Okay, talk to me about routines. What time do you get up? I, I like to ask everyone this. Typically about half five. Good. Right. Good time. Um, that was How with kids? with and without kids. Right. So before kids, it was about half five, cracking on, maybe quick five k in the morning, and be in the office about half six. Or about six forty-five. Yeah, how, how, how long is this five k taking, mate? <laughs> I thought you were, it used to be fit. Used it? to be fit. Like, <laughs> used to be twenty-two minutes, but now it's about twenty-eight or whatever yeah. it is. Sort of run around the river uh, in in Surbiton. But uh, with a kid, I tell you what, having kids is hard, right? When they're up all night, and and my, my wife's brilliant, but that that does make it a little bit harder when you when you're a little bit more tired and you've got broken sleep. But more often than not, I'm trying to be at my desk no later than sort of 6.45 because I know I've got a window of opportunity there before everybody else starts to come in to um, to, to really think clearly, uh, think about what I'm going to do for the day. You know, important things like you've created client meetings and stuff, like you've worked so hard to create those meetings. You want to make sure prep you're properly them, yeah. prepped for them. You're yeah. not just walking in and people think selling is blagging. It's not that. You've got to prep and you've got to make sure you understand the needs and the people that you're about to meet. So that's typically what I do. Then I work flat out. Uh, till uh, about half five, um, literally flat out. Do you go in the office every day now? Uh, no, no, I try to be, to be honest, if I'm, if I'm in the office, I'm not out there growing the business. Right. So I'm trying to do more 
podcast, speaking engagements, getting out there to, to audiences, which is right for us. Um, and I've kind of said to the team, if I'm in the office, then it's it's helping to fix a few things. And then I'm kind of trying to be back out on the road. So I might start the day quickly um, in the office. Um, and then whatever I try to do, I try to stop around half five, go home, see the kids, which that's flexibility, help with dinner time, bath time, get into bed, seven, seven thirty. Um, a bit of emails, a bit of a chit chat, and actually spending a bit of time with 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 Jenny, my my wife, and you know we try to get that balance of talking about the business and, and life. But you know I yeah, feel like, tough. you know if I work flat out, make sure I'm maximizing every minute of the day. I don't have to work sixteen, 15, you know seventeen hour days. Yeah. That seven till five, that ten hours flat, right? If you use that wisely, or just a little bit over. I'm maxed out, but yeah. I need a little bit of time to, to unwind or think about things where I'm not in front of a laptop or talking to people. Yeah. And that's probably mostly thinking actually happens on the couch or, or at yeah. home. Yeah. So that, that's typically my week. And then what I try to do at weekends in terms of habit and routine is, is really be disciplined with the weekend. Uh, Sundays, sort of no phones at home. It was not. It wasn't kind of like a deliberate rule, but it was kind of like I'm so I need to get away from that device, which is constantly pinging at me. I'm, I'm, just I get it away from me. Learn from your example. Oh, there. mate, tell you what, you, you turn just it off I, I, I turn it off. I put it in a kitchen cupboard, and things stop pinging. Right, and it's brilliant. I'm gonna start doing that this weekend. I've I've been promising Honestly, myself to do that for the last six months. All, all what's what's gonna happen, right? At the weekend, you're gonna get good news. You're gonna get a problem here or something you got to fix, and you're straight. You, you know, you'll never. Yeah. You have to have that release from your business. It makes you a better business owner. So you literally put the and because we started doing business internationally in the Middle East as well, where Sunday is a working day. You know, your inbox can be busy as well on a Sunday. Um, so. I've made it like a like a rule, like it's literally late Saturday night. I, I don't want to see my phone Monday morning. Doing Family it know it, can call the house phone, and I tell you what, it makes a, it makes me better on a Monday morning. Yeah, so that, to be honest, I, I think yeah, they're the I, they're the couple of things that the habits and routines. Do you plan what you're going to do the night before? I kind of planning for like I'm I'm always kind of shifting depending on the priority, like. I'm always looking like the next three weeks. Right. How my what, my what my EA is doing very well now is maximizing time that I can have to be a bit more strategic. And you've always got I've got a good idea. I've got I know what I'm doing tomorrow and Friday and, and, and early sort of early next week. But sometimes you've got to shuffle things around. And I, I use my calendar. and I'm anal like it. Like literally, I block out from seven a.m. until five. Like I know that. I might spend 40 minutes on that, this and that. So I chunk my time up and I try, yeah. I've got more realistic on how long things take. And I know that that's what I'm going to maximize my, my time with being. I don't write lists as such um, because I just I just kind of I've got into the habit of knowing in my head and prioritizing it. Um, but I, I found how you communicate with your team and your clients quite, you know, you can speed up a lot of things like whether or not it's using voice notes get into the when you've got a bit of a remote team rather than a long email you can go look this is what i mean and spend three or four minutes talking into it because they might not be able to catch me on a phone or arrange a meeting they listen to the voice note and they get it or when you're working with a client who is remotely sometimes recording a video to explain what you're trying to say can speed up a whole sales cycle quite quickly mm. so rather than if you've got a language barrier or challenge um 
then you, visual cues yeah you, you create a quick powerpoint one slide you just turn you know screen share or record and you got you can you can you can speed up a whole sales cycle by six weeks by going um look Look, buy the fucking product, right? <laughs> buy this. It's a great idea, but look, I think there's a bit of a misunderstanding by email. I just wanted to record this quick video to explain this is what we meant. This is how we would look after you. You've also known if they've watched it. Yeah. Um, but you, you're breaking down any kind of email barrier and you're yeah. speeding up a sales cycle. I think business owners get very good at that. Just like giving the giving the bones here. Get get to the point. Like what? Yeah, and, and, and I guess when you've attended meeting after meeting, then you realise that your time is it's so, so important. Precious and that, if it can be done in five minutes instead of fifteen, happened. There was a guy who said in IBM something which stuck with me, talking about things which happened before your business, and he said he he worked out he was spending about thirty minutes a day topping and tailing emails with just polite rubbish like "How are you? Hope you had a nice weekend." Da, 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 da. He literally did it for once a day and did a little starter. And then he agreed, because he, he was like a pricing manager. People were always going for him for approval. That He agreed to all of his team and everybody in the business, I'm not going to top and tail my emails. I don't want to be rude, but I'm wasting 30 minutes a day, which is two and a half hours a week, which is 10 hours a month, just trying to be polite in my emails. Do you all mind if I just get to the point? And everyone was like, we don't care. Just crack on with it. Yeah. And that meant he left work a tiny bit earlier. Saw the kids, wife a little bit happy. Marginal it was gains. kind of a marginal gain. <laughs> Yeah. my big marginal gain has been voice notes like it's really? massively made a big difference literally just communicating not everybody likes sitting behind and wants to receive the emails you know I am dyslexic it takes me forever to write it you can just you also have to double check it like oh. you have to read over it don't you just, and when you're in edu well, education when you, you can't spell things wrongly you can't everyone picks up on your grammar and stuff like yeah. that but you can be a bit different in sending a client a voice note yeah, I'm kind of with you on that actually. I, and when tight, I, I type like that. <laughs> just like caveman. I've um, see, I'm dyslexic as well. And recently, God, apparently, loads of us. <laughs> you two can't write for topics. <laughs> um, and recently, I mean, I've had, I've tried to hide it from people before in the past, and I don't know if you've found yeah. the same, but you think, you know, you can, you can come out of school feeling stupid once you've told you're dyslexic and you get treated as a dyslexic you're just it's almost like you're constantly being told you're not as clever as everyone else yeah, yeah, yeah. But what it actually means is you learn differently to everybody else but um since mm. i've just accepted i don't actually care if people do think i'm stupid or not too right it's made such a big difference to me like if someone's explaining something you're to not me, for your reference <laughs> no not at all if someone's in any explaining way. something to me and it isn't going in which yeah. is a big thing of mine I, I learn in my own way so if someone's explaining something to me it's up to me to to, to understand it I have to you know pry a bit deeper or whatever and the old me would just be like mm, don't really understand what you're going on about right now okay right yep yeah, cool see you later <sighs> no idea what, what I'm supposed to do with that information yeah, yeah. but now just a case of well, just stop there I've got what start, start at the beginning then ask them a few questions slow them down and then I don't really know what my initial point was here. No, but, but you, you want to be communicate. You like you, you like. I think you've got to challenge people when you dis. I mean, most creative people, well, a lot of dis people who are dyslexic are incredibly creative. Okay, they just see see things slightly differently, and a lot, a lot of people relay information in the old ways, like a really long email. We'll have a big team meeting. We'll go for yeah, this agenda. Rubbish yes, PowerPoint. Yeah. But someone said to me, like, if you literally, um, like business plans why are they like 50 pages long a business plan should be a page long because everybody you know no one's going to read it a visual person will look at it and go i understand it and then you just crack on so i think the way that you relay information within your businesses is really critical right um 
so I think voice notes, like we've changed, you know, early days, a couple of years ago, a lot of, we had like all these WhatsApp groups appear. And I was like, actually, WhatsApp's like a personal platform. Like, it's, I think it's really intrusive to send a WhatsApp message to someone when they've got all their mates and all their whatever clubs on there talking. So we looked at a different way of doing it. And we use Slack, a, a you know, really good way of communicating as a business. And What's it called? It's called Slack, right? Really. Is that a Microsoft program. I don't, I don't think they're owned by Microsoft, but it's okay. it's um, just S L A C K. So I can spell that. Oh, uh, got him. But it was good. It was it's, it's it's really improved productivity. A lot of people using that rather than email. You know, um, you just got to think about how does you're it, communicating. Does it use? Does it operate quite similar to like? Um, Facebook Messenger and, and WhatsApp. It's kind of like that, but like a bit of project management software in there as well, a little bit, I'd say, is, right. is my view on it. We um, use WhatsApp a lot in this business. We've got different teams and different groups. Yeah. And I must admit, that's one of the things that is quite stressful about the phone. Like, I feel like I'm on my phone all the time now. Yeah. And there's, I'm, part, I'm part of so many different groups and then so many different email. Like, and everything can be done on this little, like, five inch device i think the average ceo gets about 600 notifications a day or something silly like that and it's crazy and you've got to balance it screen time thing as well this is scary when it tells you you've been well i did my in my tedx last year i did um the average adult is on their phones for like four hours a day like it's crazy um and uh, it is unbelievable and you know the thing is you're looking at they're great devices you know i'm out on the train here i've got a load of things done but you've got to get the you, a lot of communication in businesses small and big is just a load of rubbish right yeah you know imagine so if you charged true, everybody it? about you had an email account and every email you sent cost you personally 10 pence or a pound or whatever it might be people would start talking to each other more yeah. and communicating in a more creative way yeah. and and interestingly one of so load of my team and there's another fantastic um talented young man called ravi was you know, we've got to do more in a working day. How operationally are we going to get like shit done, right? You know, you've got to create an environment, put the systems in place to get more stuff done in a day. Email, all that kind of stuff, you know, the old ways that you do team meetings, you've got to throw that out the window and you've got to think about how can we be the most innovative but also most operationally efficient company in the planet. So it makes good business sense, but it also means that people buy more time back to go do the other things outside of the working life that they want to do. Yeah. You know, have your weekend go on holiday and don't look at your emails yeah. you know that stuff is so important i think business owners have got a responsibility to make sure that you're building the business and then you're building the culture and you're building the way that you operate and talk and communicate in a way that isn't intrusive gets the best out yeah. of people and gives people time back to go you know go see the kids more go to the Exploring. pub go do whatever explore do, get yeah. down the gym uh, get down to you guys more. You know what? Bodygroup.co.uk. Who to be that? I can't let you go without talking about the TED Talk, actually. And, and for those that haven't heard it, can go and listen to it. But the idea behind it, just tell us about that. Well, I, I was always, um, yeah, I've always been inspirational. Kind of Simon Sinek, Stephen Johnson, even Sheryl Sandberg, her lean in, those mm-hmm. kind of talks. I know she gets a bit about, she gets a lot of bad press, but those talks for me kind of like really shaped my my view on it being dyslexic sometimes a podcast or a video is a quicker way for me learning rather than sitting down and trying to read a whole a big book skim reading by the way i think is is the way to go Mm -hmm. if if you can teach yourself that um but 
I was always there was a lot of things I started becoming opinionated about, as you as you probably can tell. And um, I met a journalist when I was out in um, out in overseas once. who was like, "Why are you doing this entrepreneurial stuff with four year olds? Shouldn't they be out like playing rather than being in the classroom learning this?" And I was like, "That's a really outrageous view. Go into the classroom, start hearing what these kids and ideas they've got to come up with." And I wrote this short blog about whether or not a four year old could change the world, and then. Um, it got some incredible feedback and then um, the TEDx scene was really growing in London um, and, and I decided to apply. It's quite a crazy process, like there are hundreds of applicants, there are 12 speaking slots. Um, it's a great privilege to go on stage, you've got a thousand people in the room, all these cameras, and you're like, wow, okay, I've got to be on, on point here. I know I can speak publicly well enough, I've, I've done it, I've learned. You know, I was rubbish in my early 20s um, when I was in IBM, I, I studied it, I wanted to become better. So then I put my, put my name in the sort of in, in the ring to try and do it. And um, uh, I then went through the process. I, I, you know, came up with a theme that I wanted to talk about, which are fundamentally was that any child can change the world, but we don't listen to each other. We don't create environments in schools and in businesses where we listen to each other. People come up with ideas and we shoot them down or we laugh at the silly ones. And, um, um, and then I started thinking about how can I make this really interesting? and started interviewing four-year-olds and, and so on and so on and it got got ready to go on the stage the only thing i didn't anticipate was two days before i had a throat infection so it was like get the honey down me get all this stuff because i've got to be on point on on, on saturday mm. and then i was 11th on the queue right so they had 12 12 speakers and i had to wait and watch everybody just present but then i then i did it and and it was it's been really Best interesting ever when you finished. oh my days ever, i was trying to have a dry january 2019 or 2018 or whenever it was and it was like no we've got to go celebrate straight yeah. away um and it, and it was amazing so it's kind of four year old changed the world and it's become very it's really helped with our education business it's helped with our corporate business it's given me a tiny bit more credibility that i, mm. I kind of know what i'm talking about and i think anybody out there who's got a story to tell got a different outlook on life i think you know, it's a great, great, great platform. And we had a girl who I interviewed said that she couldn't change the world because she didn't have muscles and she was four years old. And to be honest, that was the big takeaway a lot of people took from it. And and that's led us on to having some really interesting conversations with some of the biggest media companies in the world about about cartoons, right? I never thought seven years ago we'd even be thinking about a cartoon. But what we learned was um, a lot of two, three, four-year-olds are influenced incredibly influenced by what they watch on tv yeah. but youtube channels as well just take a look at some of the kids youtube channels billion i'm not talking millions billions of hits they're getting and it's absolute tosh watch they're watching literally absolute rubbish and um they're being told even at that stage like what an entrepreneur is and and, and so on and so on so we started saying look you can't wait to five six seven and these nice like uh, disney princess films you've got to start creating better material for the toddler the one the two-year-old because they are watching this they are consuming it and when they're four and they're saying they can't change the world because they don't have muscles or they're not a superhero we have got some massive problems in society so that's that's kind of like a bit of a special project that we're working on on, on the side but we've been able to draw on a lot of the stuff we've done in education um so well, particularly like the kid who said he would clean uh, create a robot that cleans the pennies Pick up the pennies. Pick up the pennies. Oh, my Pick days. up the pennies and the pounds will look after themselves, folks. <laughs> Four, right? Says Four that. Four years old. Yeah, loads of money on the streets. You know, people just, you know, out there. Brilliant. And then another kid was like, because we gave him some of the United Nations biggest issues to face and said, how would you fix them? And another kid goes, well, um, and it's about the water Bucket issue. I'm like, well, I want to have buckets on every single school roof in the world, which filters it and turns it into drinking. And I'm like, why the hell not? 
Who are we to tell you it's a good idea? Say again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Film the whole. We've got some outtakes as well, which is quite, quite, quite funny though. But it's my old primary school, um, St George's Rootham in Kent. Um, a guy called David Jones was head there for like thirty years. Amazing head, and he was just like, yeah, come back, do it. And it was, um, yeah, it was, it was good fun. I bet so, that was well fun. Yeah, you got to do it, and it, it puts put me out of my comfort zone getting on that that Ted Ted stage. Yeah, I bet. Like, hundred percent push it. Anyone who's yeah. got a good story. Yeah. Go when you it. say the, the the interview the process to getting on it was difficult what what well you had about 200 applicants doing yeah it, yeah loads like, of people what do you have to send to them well it was a basic application what do you want to talk about uh, what's going to be the theme and why you and then you had to go then they shortlisted it interviewed you and then effectively to be honest they're looking at looking at you in two ways is your story compelling enough and yeah. you're gonna and then secondly you're gonna perform you know yeah. on the stage There's a lot of people so a lot of people and you've got a lot of people in the room they sell tickets for these events and they've got to make sure that you're you're ready to rock and ready to rock and roll and i you know it's one of the proudest things i've done when i look back um you know i i would go a bit i am more energetic when i present but that was a bit down to my voice there's bits a few things i you know i'm probably the most critical person of it but well, i'm sure you i are. don't care yeah. I, I look at it and go you know i had the courage to do it so yeah. i'm proud of it cool and, and you should be Thanks, I've, mate. I've listened to it i thought it was wicked i've listened to it twice actually thank you very much mm. in preparation yeah, I for bad that I haven't, well i listened to it for you rick all right preparation remember preparation i was up at half five preparing for this podcast <laughs> but ted's brilliant chris you need to get on one mate you've got a fascinating story and you've got to get on that stage yeah, and tell well, it funny enough I'm, i've just applied to organize my own but Ooh. wow the difficult thing is for a first timer, you can only have a hundred guests if you've never been to an actual TED conference. Most what, but you can States. still call it a TEDx. Yeah, so it could it could be TEDx, but um, I can only have a hundred people there because I've never been to. So uh, you got to build it up, right? I don't know what happens if I can then say right next year can I have more people or, or how it works. I think but it's just because the brand is so strong they want to. It really is. Isn't but it? You, imagine yeah. this area, this this part of the country. There'd be low. I think there's one. In, the one I did was Kingston and Shoreditch. Tom Wells did one. Yeah, yeah they did do. Uh, Tom Wells well, did a smaller they one. They carry it on though. Do they not? No. It's oh, a huge it, amount of. Is the one? Do, do they stay where they are and do them regularly? Then? Well, there was two big ones in London, which was yeah. uh, Kingston and um, Shoreditch. I think was the was the second one, and and then then you get pockets of ones applied, but they've got really strict rules because it's it's their brand. You get the film has got to be right. You've got yeah. you, you know, and then at the end of the day, once you've done your talk, um, it then gets submitted to TEDx, which is in the US, and then they can still reject it, right? Oh, really? oh, yeah, of course, because some people might just absolutely like yeah, it just they're just not going to put it on their channel yeah. um, if they think it's gonna if it's if it's gonna if the story is yeah. rubbish yeah. right so you, you know very but you 99 times out of 10 when you're on that stage you're ready to be on that stage and you're going to smash yeah. it out of the park yeah anyone who's not preparing the arse out of that as well is shouldn't be out there Mate. well funny enough i read that there might even be a ted talk on it but there was someone who made a really good point about why this ted talk was better than another one and i think part of this this person didn't script theirs this person did they made the point that this one was better because this person was actually speaking from the heart there in the moment rather than I'm not saying yeah, that's got prep, that's you've got to be prep, a but. super experienced public speaker I'd imagine to be able to like I don't know that's a lot of people yeah well to yeah. be honest I did I got my kind of rough flow then I one of our strategic schools I sent out an email to 500 of the members of staff and said look I'm going to do 20 rehearsals every morning for the next um, the <laughs> next month <laughs> at 7.30 anyone who can be there please come and see it 
And some days I had like two people, the next day I'd have 20 people, then one person this. I did it every day like that. So mine was in January and I did that in like October. And by the time I did it 20 times, I completely had changed the flow, knew yeah, off, kind of yeah. knew off by heart. Then I was in getting to sort of, I wanted better slides. And then it was about over Christmas, it was a bit annoying time. It was Christmas before January. I was kind of into thinking about what am I going to wear? What are the deliveries going to be? So you, you, it's like perfecting you your sport. No, can you see notes? No, no. Well, you you can like, but no one wants to. No one really wants to. And the thing is, you got to know your first line, and you can have slides, right? And the slide can be your prompt. Rule that you're not allowed notes. Yeah, it it comes across a little bit, a little bit village if you're sort of reading off notes. Amateur might be absolutely amateur. It's like reading. That's like doing a best man speech with notes. Yeah, dead against it. (laughs) You got it. You just got to, you know, get the first line out, then you'll be fine. You know, you. This is your topic, your subject. You're not being asked to stand up and talk about, you know, something you've never been taught before or something rubbish in school. This is your life passion. Yeah, yeah. You will be. I would never put yourself off it because you don't think you're a good enough public speaker. If you've got an interesting enough story, just apply. Make it a problem. Get the offer from TEDx. Then worry about how the hell you're going to yeah, deliver it. Yeah, cross bridge whenth cometh. Yeah. Cool, David, mate. That has been like I've taken loads from that. Actually, oh, yeah. I've taken loads from that. You know, all the other people that have been on, I've had nothing. <laughs> no i have taken loads from that and i i think that was really i think that'd be really useful for both people that are potentially thinking about starting a business but also for people who've been running one for however yeah, many cool. years so yeah. mate it's a massive pleasure having you on it's good to see pleasure's you. mine mate you should be proud of what you guys have done awesome over here just keep going okay nice. and, and thanks for having me oh last thing Last thing, um, where if people want to find out more about Seven Billion Ideas, where will they do that? Seven billion ideas dot com. Be a rogue question then. <laughs> I it, yeah. Just a curveball. Yeah. What's your favourite favourite food? Seven billion ideas dot com. But you know what? Um, get on LinkedIn. If you're not on LinkedIn, then um, get on LinkedIn. Great network. Um, just David Harkin, and, and just pop me a message. You know what? If you're starting a business, want to hear about what we do in schools how we help organizations become relentlessly innovative, just get in contact, um, say you listen to this and I'm more than happy to, happy to help. Have you got other social networks for the business? Yeah, well? uh, so Twitter, David J. Harkin or 7billionideas.com, Instagram, Facebook, yeah, the whole lot, just 7 billion ideas, just put us into Google, you'll find us. And the title of the TED Talk? Uh, can a four-year-old change the world? Amazing. Ladies and gents, David Harkin from 7billionideas.com and Ricky Spears. Just skulking about. <laughs> kind of rang a bell there, didn't it? Seven billion ideas and Ricky Spears. Cheers, guys. Thanks very much. So there you go, folks. David Harkin, thanks again to David for coming on. Me and Chris took a lot away from this one. Um, like I said at the beginning, he seems quite wise beyond his years. Um, I really like how he got going with his business, where he come from being full-time to to part-time to one day a week to then um, leaving and starting his business. Um, And he mentions about having 12 to 18 months survival fund in the bank. Um, For anyone who's looking to start their own business up, I can really echo this because that's a mistake that I made when I, I started my business. I didn't have anything like enough survival funds in the bank. And then when you personally run out of money, you're kind of left nowhere to turn really so that's something I feel doesn't really get talked about too much when you're looking into entrepreneurialism and starting a business is 
is how important that is is to take care of yourself first because that's all that matters isn't it it's yourself and your family you've got got to give yourself enough space to to be able to think freely in them early days to start the business so big takeaway there i think for anyone who's looking to start it up loads of other gems hope you enjoyed it please look him up um please watch that ted talk i think it's really important um see you next time so there you go thanks to david for coming on me and chris really enjoyed this one some good takeaways there i think as i said at the beginning david is wise beyond his years he's about the same age as chris around 33 ish although chris looks about 17 still um so some good takeaways I found from David was the way he started his company slowly at the beginning. He went from full-time employment to part-time to then getting his company going. A great idea. Also what he said about having 12 to 18 months survival fund in the bank. I can echo that. I made that mistake. Um, you run out of money very quickly. And then personally, once you've run out of money, that's it. I feel unless you're going to get in more debt you're kind of done you need to you need to take care of yourself and your family first otherwise you've just got no space to think freely about the direction of your business then also the main idea behind his business really I think was a great takeaway for me is particularly the education side and the side he does working with the kids and what his TED talk is all about is listening to our kids actually because well that's a bit of a cliche they are our future aren't they so their ideas are what's going to repair some of the damage we've done to this planet. Their ideas are going to innovate new companies and generally continue to make the world a better place to live. So let's keep listening to our kids. Let's keep listening to each other. Let's encourage curiosity. Keep your own curiosity. And I will see you next time. Bye-bye.